Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade, and we're at episode number 48. Oh yeah. And it's late August of 1993. Today we're going to talk everything late August. That's Monday Night Raw, August 16th through Sunday, August 29th, the day before SummerSlam. And of course, SummerSlam this year taking place on Monday, August 30th. Of course, last week we did the first half of August. This week, the second half of August. And yes, guys, you better believe it. Next week is the SummerSlam 93 Watch Along edition of the grenade going to be some fun stuff there for sure but before we can get there we're going to get through the rest of the month of august so let's do that shall we well but you know what wait before we do that let me tell you guys how you can find all past episodes of the wrestling memory grenade as well as all of our sister shows including tr shocks the world with the great tom robinson and monday warfare the battles within among other podcasts all available as part of the wrestlecopia podcast network which you guys can listen to over at WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple to Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, so many more. And now also don't forget, if you have the Facebook app here in the States, you can even listen to our shows on the Facebook app, courtesy of the RSS feeds available at Facebook.com slash Grenade. And I've even thrown up an episode, the July episode, in fact, of WWF here in 1993 up on our YouTube account at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And I hope to be adding more of our past podcasts to our YouTube account in the very near future. And we'll talk a little social media right quick. You guys can go over to Twitter and follow us on Twitter at wrestling grenade. That's at R A S S L I N grenade home of the free prize giveaway. Also follow us, like us on facebook.com slash wrestling grenade, because when you follow us, you're automatically entered into each and every one of our free prize giveaways. And we currently have two free prize giveaways going on right now. In fact, both winners will be announced next week as part of the SummerSlam 93 Watch Along edition of The Grenade. The two things up for grabs right now, a 8x10 promo pick, Lex Luger made in the USA, Lex Luger, autographed promo pick of the former narcissist. Now he's made in the USA as Lex Luger heading to SummerSlam to take on Yokozuna. Also up for grabs is a pack of three, count them three, WWF magazines from this era, covering August, October, and November editions of the WWF 1993 magazine. Those are two separate prizes. You guys have the chance to win the Lex Luger autograph promo pick, and you also have the chance to win three WWF magazines circa 1993. Both winners will be announced next week right here on the show as part of the SummerSlam 93 watch-along episode. Episode number... 49. And remember, continue to follow us. Tell your friends to follow us so that you're automatically entered into each and every future free prize giveaway. And of course, we can talk a little YouTube because I told you guys last week I added something like 30 new videos to our YouTube account. Well, guess what, guys? I added another 20 plus this week. Over 50 new videos in the last week and a half on our YouTube account. So make sure you subscribe right now at youtube.com 
slash wrestling grenade. Easy to figure out. That's youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. I've added over 50 new videos all about the WWF versus USWA war of 1993. And it's just getting good. We talked last week about Vince McMahon now as part of the USW. He invaded the USW. We heard a couple sound bites of the heel Vince McMahon as he enters the USW there in August of 93. Well, I'm up to July already as far as videos go, and August is up next. So make sure you go over to YouTube if you guys want to have some fun. Watch Owen Hart in the USWA. Watch Bret Hart as a heel in the USWA. And, of course, the Macho Man, the Narcissist, Papa Shango, Sensational Sherry, Doink the Clown, the Giant Gonzalez, and so many more of your favorite WWF superstars down in Memphis feuding with the Memphis territory. And you'll want to keep checking back to YouTube because I have tons of new WWF 1993 footage getting ready to drop as well. It's going to cover March through August of 1993 in the WWF. Like I said, once the holidays got behind us, I was going to crank out new videos, and I've done so over 50 in the last week and a half alone. Tons more to come. You guys are going to definitely always want to be a part of that YouTube account at the Wrestling Grenade because you never know where we're going to go next. And before we get back here into 1993, August of 93 in the WWF, it's time for a little Virgil of the Week. And guys, because I didn't plan for the August show to be two parts, because I initially planned the show to be one large episode of the Grenade once again, but because I had to divide it up into two weeks due to the length of the show as well as the time I was allotted in order to record it to get it out to you guys in a reasonable amount of time, I separated the show in half. I did half last week. Uh, it was a great three and a half hours, by the way. But again, this week, we got two more weeks of WWF TV to talk about. If you guys are here listening and looking for the news, all the news I told it last week's episode, episode number 47, go back and listen to that. I also spent a half an hour talking about the USWA-WWF feud going on in August as Vince McMahon has arrived in the USWA and things will never be the same again, or at least for a few months anyway. But before we get going, the point I was trying to get to before I got sidetracked by myself, last week we had some great Virgil of the Weeks. He was talking all about nails heading into SummerSlam 92, and we're going to listen to Virgil's promo from SummerSlam 92 when he talks about nails next week as we lead into the SummerSlam 93 show. But this week it was, it was an unplanned episode, so I really didn't have any extra Virgil of the Weeks that I could put on here this week. But I went and found a couple anyway for you guys, and they're not the greatest Virgil of the Weeks, but it's Virgil, so there's always... Something good going on here. We're going to listen to two, count them two, promos from Verge this week. First, it's Virgil talking about coming to the Nassau Coliseum, December 1991, to take on the Warlord. Nassau Coliseum. That's right, I meet the Warlord. One of the biggest, strongest guys in the World Wrestling Federation. Okay, when I signed to take the match, I was thinking a little bit. I said, man, this is a gigantic guy. But I thought, too. I got lightning speed. I got a move and I got a groove on the warlord because I can tire him down. I can throw them rights and lefts because I know I can tire him and he'll be fatigued and I can beat him right in Nassau Coliseum. He can tire him and he'll be fatigued and he'll beat him right there in the Nassau Coliseum. So let's, let's dissect this for a minute. Beyond Virgil's promo, let's dissect this for a minute. It's December of 91. Virgil has just lost the million dollar title. Arguably, not arguably, really, the biggest year of Virgil's career, 1991. He turns babyface at the Royal Rumble. He goes on to SummerSlam and wins the million-dollar title. He's riding high. He's considered a mid-card, a, a respectable mid-card talent by the end of 1991. Here he is. He loses the million-dollar title. It's December, and he's in there against the Warlord, who's all but gone from the company. The Warlord's a month or two away from 
getting the boot, I'm assuming a lot of it had to do with the with the steroids. Of course, everybody had to get off of them, and, and then Vince started making some cuts thereafter. Hercules, Barbarian. You see where I'm going with the names and what they looked like when these guys were shown the door in the early part of 92. But the Warlord hasn't been a factor in quite a while. Yet he's taking on Virgil, who's just coming off the big long push of 1991. Virgil goes into Nassau Coliseum. He's taking on the Warlord. The finish of the match was apparently Virgil winning the bout over the Warlord on a disqualification when the Warlord would not release a chokehold after three minutes. At least the match was short and sweet. I have to say that much, but Virgil cannot score a win over the Warlord, which, okay, the Warlord is at least twice the size, but still a three-minute choke. Amazing. And we move on. I promised not one, but two promos from Virgil this week. We got another promo from Virgil, and because it's a week out from SummerSlam 93 watch-along, here's a quickie of Virgil heading into SummerSlam 91 to take on the Million Dollar Man. Meets his former bodyguard, Virgil. Hey, DiBiase, I'm going to catch the train down to Madison Square Garden. But at SummerSlam, when I beat you, man, I'm going to tip your limo driver so nicely, he's going to take me down and ride me down to Broadway. And you and Sherry are going to be catching a cab. Certainly not one of the worst Virgil promos of all time. Sherry and DiBiase going to be taking a cab. He's going to be tipping that limo driver. Virgil heading on down to Broadway. It's a 15-second promo, so he can't really screw too much up there. So uh, maybe they figured the window out and they just didn't realize it. Like if Virgil gets 10 seconds, 15 seconds, he might be okay. It's something to think about moving forward. I got some good, great Virgil promos lined up and some surprises coming up as well from old Virg here on the show. But before we get going into the TV results for the second half of August here in 93, there's a little more news on Mr. Hughes, the departure of Mr. Hughes. You guys may remember last week, I talked about 16 talents being released from the company, whether a wrestler, announcer, what, what have you, whether they gave their notice, they quit, they found a better deal in WCW, they were fired, released outright, no longer under full-time contract, but maybe they're working spot shows like a Bob Backlund or things of that nature. Whatever the case may be, 16 talents gone from the company throughout the course of August of 1993. Mr. Hughes was one of the biggest names on that list because he's in the middle of a feud with The Undertaker it's just unheard of for a guy that high up on the card to just disappear off TV, but that's what happens here. And I actually went back while well, I had some time this week, and I watched a portion of the Mr. Hughes shoot interview, specifically in regards to his release from the company here in 1993. And here's what Mr. Hughes had to say about his run ending abruptly here in 1993. Mr. Hughes talked about being on the road, traveling to a hotel, and asked a few of the guys to borrow some money until he got his advance. Of course, for those who don't know, before you get your paychecks, you can actually go to the agents and ask for X amount of dollars advance so that you can cover some bills or cover your travel or whatever the case may be. And typically, they would float you the money up front until your check came. Well, here, Hughes couldn't wait for his advance, so he admitted he went around to a few wrestlers he may have known and asked if he could borrow a few bucks until he got his advance. But someone ratted Hughes out ratted him out to the office. The agent stooged him right out, and they claimed that he was knocking on doors early in the morning looking to get money for drugs. Now, you got to remember, this ties in with the story I told a couple episodes ago about Chief J. Strongbow not being a fan of Mr. Hughes and having it out for him and trying to get him fired, going to Vince and claiming Mr. Hughes was high and passed out at the airport. In actuality, Hughes suffers, Hughes suffers from narcolepsy, and that was really the case. That was what was going on. So, 
Hughes' job was saved at that point in time, but here we are again, and now I'm sure Strongbow part of this list of guys who were probably licking their chops to go to McMahon about this story. And next thing we know, Hughes says the next day was drug testing, and they made him pee in a room with the agent Blackjack Lanza, as well as one of the WWF referees. Now, what's interesting here is Hughes also said that Brett and Owen Hart both told him not to take the test unless everyone else had to do the same exact thing. But Hughes said he didn't mind because he didn't take any drugs. So he took the test anyway. He pissed in the cup. No problem. The next thing Hughes knows the very next day after the piss test, he was told to go home after his match. Now, the final match that I have record of here is Mr. Hughes losing to The Undertaker on August 21st in Anaheim. So you'd have to imagine that would have been the date Hughes is referencing here if he's, if he's accurate in, his, in the way this played out. But Hughes says he was basically told to go home after his match in Anaheim and that Vince would be calling him to let him know what's going on. So he says Vince called him the next day and said he had heard some stories going around about Hughes and that the company had a lot of headaches right now with, with the uh, upcoming steroid trial on the horizon. And Vince says he couldn't deal with any more headaches right now. And we'll see that more here in September, believe me. So Mr. Hughes asked McMahon if the test came back and what, what the results read, but Vince said he didn't know yet. He hadn't received the information. However, the writing was on the wall when Vince replied and told Hughes that he would have Adam Baum, who lived close by to Hughes, he would have Adam Baum stop by Mr. Hughes' house and pick up the urn to bring back to The Undertaker. Furthermore, I found it kind of interesting, too. They asked him during the shoot interview, if he ever found out who ratted him out. And Mr. Hughes says, oh, he knows. He knows exactly who ratted him out, but he would not say the person's name. I guess you got to respect that, though. I'd love to know who it was. Mr. Hughes, clearly not a rat, not a snitch. Here in the shoot interview, he wouldn't say their name, but he said if he ever saw them again, he would knock their teeth out. So Mr. Hughes holding a grudge, and rightfully so. They screwed him out of big money there. Working with The Undertaker, you have to think through the end of the year. And that's the story of the department, at least that's Curtis Hughes' side, and it sounds fairly accurate, I would imagine, of the story there back in August of 93, his release from the WWF mid-feud with The Undertaker. As we roll on to WWF Monday Night Raw for August 16th, Poughkeepsie, New York, Mid-Hudson Civic Center, and we are live, pal! It's Vince McMahon, Macho Man, and Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary as we head to the ring. It's one, two, three, kid, taking on the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. This, of course, a rematch from their match on Wrestling Challenge a couple weeks ago when the kid pinned Ted DiBiase in the middle of the ring. We even see a clip here reminding us of the kid defeating Ted DiBiase. As the match gets going, it's cocky and confident Ted DiBiase taking control as the kid wisely powders repeatedly out of the ring to avoid the offense of the million-dollar man. Razor Ramon calls in on the phone. He says he thinks the kid has some surprises for DiBiase, as well as IRS at SummerSlam. Razor looks forward to his match with the Richmang at the pay-per-view as well. Ramon even mentions that he has recently spoken with the kid, furthering their friendship storyline. We really didn't know where they stood as of yet, but now, Razor, this is kind of important for a throwaway phone call in this match. This is the first time Razor acknowledges that he's spoken to the kid. They seem to be getting along. They've had conversation. They've worked out their issues, so to speak. So even though it's throwaway, it's kind of interesting. Back in the match, the 1-2-3 kid comes back with a weird botch of sorts. He looks like he's going for a crossbody running off the ropes, but DiBiase ducks his head, and it's almost like a head-scissors driver backwards. It's, it's, it's like a, a high crossbody combined with a head-scissors. It was an odd botch, but, but it was still somewhat believable. The kid then with drop kicks, but runs into a back elbow from DiBiase in the corner, 
And now it's DiBiase's turn. He whips the kid across, and DiBiase misses his own charge into the corner. The kid comes off the top rope with a nice high cross body, but he goes back up top instead of making the cover. And as the kid climbs to the top rope again, IRS is out. The other half of Money Incorporated, IRS shoves the kid off the top rope. The kid does a flip off the top, takes a nasty bump back into the middle of the ring, and the referee calls for the bell. And what I called a shit DQ finish here, DiBiase will be disqualified. Kid gets the win in four minutes and 45 seconds. The match never really got going. Not a whole lot here. But Money Incorporated put the boots to the kid. They double team him, work him over. And they've already noted that Razor Ramon is not in the building. That's why he made the phone call. But you know who are in the building? It's the Steiner brothers out to make the save. They clear the ring of Money Incorporated as the Steiners will defend their tag team titles against Money Inc. This coming Sunday night, inside a steel cage as part of the Summer Slam Spectacular. So the Steiners make the save for the kid, and we get a little little something there between IRS and the kid heading into SummerSlam. And as the show rolls on, Randy Savage mentions that he is a surprise for everyone in the building later on. Yeah. And we get our very first ever Raw bumper. If you guys remember these bumpers, they started airing around this time. We're heading into commercial break. It's a picture of a Raw steak with a big Raw logo on top. At this point, we also see an ad for the SummerSlam Spectacular. Not only will that tag team cage match take place, but it appears we'll also see the, finally we'll see, a rematch between Yokozuna and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It's been months since these two stepped in the ring, and Duggan finally ready to go back at the WWF champion Yokozuna this Sunday night. Back to the ring, it's the Head Shrinkers, with Afa in their corner taking on Mike Corey and Dave Moraldo here this week. He's usually Mike Moraldo. I can only assume that they changed his first name because Mike Corey was his tag team partner. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. But it doesn't matter. As early on in the match, Samu just kicks poor Corey's face right off with a Savaki. Nasty-looking crescent kick just took his head off, and Corey sells it well. He's dead, laying in the corner for the rest of the match. He did. The Shrinkers have to roll Corey to his corner in order to make Moraldo tag in, and then it's a double face buster on Moraldo. And if you guys go back, do you, you, know, you remember certain spots in time, and there was this spot at WrestleMania 9 between the Steiners and the Head Shrinkers that just sticks out in my mind to this day. It's when one of the Head Shrinkers picks Scotty up in almost a hot shot, a stun gun type position, and goes to drop him across the top rope. But the other Head Shrinker pulls the rope down as he's trying to do an assisted stun gun of sorts, and Scotty takes this nasty bump out to the floor instead of eating a hot shot. Well, here they actually do the move again this time to Moraldo, and it works. It's a stun gun, hot shot, if you will, across the top rope as the other Samoan assists with dropping the head, the throat, right across the top rope. Great move here by the Samoans. We didn't get it often enough. And then out of nowhere, Afa speaks absolutely fluent English right there into the camera as Vince McMahon learns, oh, Afa can speak English, apparently. As Afa says, they want a title shot against the Steiners. And then Afa shouts, SummerSlam, be ready. I wrote question mark as these head shrinkers pick up the one with the Fatu Flying Splash, three minutes and seven seconds. Let's go back to that for a second. This is a live edition of Raw. This was not recorded three, four weeks ago when, when perhaps the shrinkers were the ones still scheduled on paper to challenge the Steiners for the tag team titles at the pay-per-view. No, no, here, we already know it's the Heavenly Bodies, yet somehow Alpha says they want their title shot and tells the Steiners to be ready at SummerSlam. Really odd stuff here is we already know, even on commentary during this match, that the Head Shrinkers are part of a six-man tag team match at the pay-per-view. Speaking of SummerSlam, we get the SummerSlam report before we go backstage to see Bastion Booger 
preparing for his upcoming match with Marty Jannetty. How does he prepare? Well, of course, he eats a WWF ice cream bar because he's fat, and that's Vince McMahon. And then it's back to the ring for said match with Marty Jannetty taking on Bastion Booger. Bastion Booger even checks out Themis Clarities before the match. Marty coming down the aisle with the red, white, and blue wristbands, but they're all the way up his arms because it's Marty being Marty, and they must just be handing those things out left and right. Marty has a collection of at least a dozen on his body. Bastion, I don't think even... It's a good thing Booger's not a babyface. I don't know where he would try to fit a wristband on his body. But early on, Booger wants a test of strength, which Marty escapes. Booger then misses several charges into the corner. Marty Jannetty on the move. It's stick and go, stick and go. Booger chases Marty to the corner where Marty unleashes a reverse cross body block and actually takes Bastion Booger down for a two count. And then it's arm drags and a hip toss on Bastion Booger. Unbelievable sight there. Marty Jannetty, though, with two drop kicks, sends Booger over the top rope. That was not pretty. And out to the floor. Vince suspects that Booger was trying to escape the offense of Jannetty, when in reality, I think he was trying to sell it like the dropkick bumped him over the top rope, but it was so slow and bad, it wasn't believable. And worse yet, Booger gets his arms stuck in the ropes on the way over. It's just, it's a Bastion Booger match at this point. It's really not as bad as it sounds, however. Jannetty, though, goes to the top rope and hits a flying fist all the way out to the floor. And then Jannetty back inside with a slingshot plancha back out of the ring onto Booger as we head into a commercial break. Back from break, the two men spill to the floor again. They're on the outside. Bastion Booger posts Jannetty, whips him into the post, but Jannetty does an inside-out bump. Jannetty's famous for those. As he runs into the post, but this actually looks pretty damn cool. So I'm going to give him credit here as uh, Jannetty eats the post and does the inside-out bump at the same time. Before it's the Karachi Crunch, the avalanche into the post by Bastion Booger. And then back inside, Booger shoots Jannetty up, and boy, does Jannetty get height on this giant, insane backdrop by Marty Jannetty. And as Jannetty lays there on the mat, Marty chants begin to break out among the fans. Pretty loud Marty chants, and say what you will, this guy is over with the fans. Jannetty makes a comeback. He tries the sunset flip, but Booger is not going down. In fact, he counters with his finisher, a trip to the back cave. As Booger lands balls first onto the face of Marty Jannetty, he goes for the cover. But Jannetty hooks his legs around the massive arms of Booger and takes him back into a sunset flip. One, two, three. Marty Jannetty has pinned Bastion Booger in seven minutes, counting the commercial break. And the funny thing here, if you watch in the replay from a different angle, is Jannetty hooks the sunset flip, his face obviously between the legs of Booger at one point. Jannetty actually has to take his face and move it out of the cover position. He actually takes his face and turns it away. Hides it behind Booger's leg because he can't stand the stench or the girthy disgustingness of having his head in between the legs of Bastion Booger. And Marty picks up a win over a relatively familiar name here in a competitive match, if you will, over Bastion Booger as he heads into SummerSlam to take on Ludwig Borga. And this might not be saying a lot, uh, but sadly, this it may have been the best Booger match thus far in the WWF, uh, without a doubt. Not that it was very good, but Jannetty really made it pretty sweet. We move on. It's Vince McMahon in the ring with Money Incorporated as they talk a little bit about the kid and the Steiner brothers. IRS says the kid just got a taste of what's going to happen to him at SummerSlam. DiBiase hopes that Razor Ramon and the Steiners were watching what they did to the kid. Vince asks if either of Money Incorporated will make it to SummerSlam after the cage match against the Steiners this coming Sunday night. DiBiase says everybody has a price. 
and when the Steiners signed for a title match inside a steel cage, well, they were bought and paid for. DiBiase kind of hinting that he's the one that paid someone off to, to make this match happen inside a cage. Money Incorporated are favored here because it's inside a cage. IRS says it's the Steiners who need to worry about making it to SummerSlam and their title defense against the Heavenly Bodies. DiBiase admits the Steiners are big and they're strong. They're a great team, but they have a cumulative IQ of 10, and they got lucky the last two times the two teams fought. Vince talks about the cage match stipulations. Both members of the team must exit the cage in order to win. Vince says the Steiners have the advantage in his eyes. They're faster, they're more agile, and they have the stamina it takes to win this cage match. Mike Rotunda, using his old 1989 lines here in the NWA, he says the M on the Steiner's jackets stands for morons. It's a classic tale of brains over brawn here, as Money Incorporated will come out the winners. The promo, to me, seemed unnecessary, kind of forced onto the show, served no real purpose other than just to cut a promo about next week's cage match, and then IRS mentioning uh, the kid in a one-off sentence here. So nothing new was said here, but they use this to push for the USA special. The, the, the cage match is the main event of the SummerSlam Spectacular, and rightfully so. They didn't really do that very often. They didn't really sell the big matches on these USA specials. So I did like that for that reason alone, that they, they use this. They try to make the SummerSlam Spectacular, this title match, feel important. And it's back to the ring for more action as men on a mission with Oscar in their corner taking on Iron Mike Sharp and Barry Horowitz. And even men on a mission rocking the old red, white, and blue wristbands here. Themis is even rocking the wristbands, I notice, as she holds up her Raw Girl signs. And we're still in the early inception of men on a mission. So you guys remember the DX days where they would cut back and forth from the DX video to the entrance video in hyper fashion and almost strobe lighting effect. And, and, and sometimes, you know, if you weren't really down with that, it kind of sucked on your eyes. Well, Men on a Mission have the same thing going here, although it's not nearly as often. You might get three seconds of a clip of the hood, the ghetto, if you will, and then 15 seconds of the Men on a Mission entrance and then back and forth and so on. But it's very interesting to see these interspliced clips here of the ghetto, of the hood, if you will. Uh, I'm not so sure that would get over too well today. This is how you're representing. You're talking empty trash lot, lots filled with just empty trash laying around and broken down graffitied buildings and things. This is supposed to represent uh, the African-Americans. This is supposed to represent men on a mission who I'm not particularly sure what they have to do with the hood outside of Oscar quote unquote rapping. And then the men on a mission dressed in whatever the hell the, that those outfits are. They don't look very ghetto esque to me. I, I'm not really sure what they were going for with those outfits. Certainly not with the Harlem Knights war when they were in the USWA. Uh, I also found it hilarious on commentary during the match, Bobby Heenan trashing the ghetto throughout the entire match while Vince McMahon responds, nothing wrong with the hood. Uh, <laughs> I had to laugh there. Vince McMahon, nothing wrong with the hood. Vince, you know, he's been in the hood so many times. He, his one with the hood is Vince McMahon. And I tell you what, Vince probably thought Oscar was great due to the crowd participation here because say what you will, men on a mission are, I don't know if men on a mission are over, or just being able to have uh, an act where the crowd can participate so much. That's what gets them over. That's what gets the crowd response, elicits the response. Now, I know Mabel, some of his moves are very impressive for a guy his size. It's just amazing. And I'm not shocked when they, when they pop for the spinning heel kick or a drop kick from Mabel. But everything else, uh, you know, I'm not, it's, it's questionable at best. 
And the crowd really into this, and, and Vince must think, well, this is what rap is, and this is, this is what it's all about. And speaking of men on a mission, yes, there is a match happening here. It's Uncle Mo starting out with Barry Horowitz. He does a drop told as Mabel comes in, drops the big leg across the back of the head of Barry Horowitz. Mabel even launches Barry in a big slam, throws him across the ring to his corner in order for him to tag in Mike Sharp. And it's the hip-hop double elbow drop from men on a mission and an assisted avalanche in the corner onto Iron Mike Sharp before Mo climbs to the top rope and does a quote-unquote bulldog on his own partner, Mabel. Essentially, it's Mo assisting Mabel and coming down on Sharp with a big splash. And Men on a Mission pick up the win here in just two minutes, eight seconds. And not much here on commentary to really sell Men on a Mission. Of course, Bobby gets in a couple of nice comedy jabs towards the team, but it's mostly used here. This match is just used for Macho Man to build up his big surprise coming up later in the show. As we cut to another Who is Lex Luger promo. And this week, Lex Luger talks about drugs in sports. Well, you know, being a professional athlete feels like all my life. I think there's always that temptation there. Uh, You're in a high profile position. People want to be around you. Not always positive influences. Uh, Usually you're fortunate enough to make quite a bit of money at a very young age. I don't think your maturity is quite caught up with your uh, checkbook. And uh, I think that obviously makes professional athletes sometimes more susceptible than the general populace to drug problems and drug abuse. And, you know, I'll be quite honest. Uh, We all mature and we go through these processes, like I said earlier, and and I've never had a drug problem, but I went through the experimentation that a lot of young athletes, professional athletes, go through, and I've worked my way through that. All righty, Lex Luger talks about drugs in sports. And then Vince McMahon. Yes, Vince McMahon is apparently here in these Who is Lex Luger promos. We just haven't heard him until now, but now Vince McMahon asks the big question. He asks Lex Luger about steroids. Lex Luger, are you taking steroids? Emphatically, absolutely no. And that, you know, that's a real hot button with me because, once again, the maturation process of being an athlete and all the pressures you feel, the peer pressure that you feel from football and professional wrestling, um, anabolic steroids, before they became illegal, were very prevalent. Athletics. I'm not denying that they still aren't prevalent at this point in time, but there's one thing I do know: they're not prevalent in any shape, form, or manner here right now in the World Wrestling Federation. But I will be totally frank and honest: before they became illegal, I was a steroid user, and yes, I did use them. I wasn't an abuser of steroids, but I did use them. And but I think it makes it so much more meaningful to me now that knowing I didn't need a shortcut. That, yeah, I'm, like we said earlier, maybe I'm a mesomorph and maybe have uh, fortune enough to have some genetic gifts more so than the other person. But I think that now I know that I can look good if I train hard, if I eat right and do the proper things. Anybody out there, and I know because I've done it myself, can build a lot of good quality muscle and look good without anabolic steroids. I'm especially proud of this, and especially, especially for the young kids out there coming up and want to be good athletes and want to get bigger, faster, and stronger. I, I really feel great that I can now be truly a role model and say that if you eat properly, the proper nutrition, do the proper training with discipline, you take the proper supplementation, that you truly can build and maintain a great physique and a great athletic build without the use of anabolic steroids. That's a great feeling. 
It really is. It's a great feeling until you go back to WCW in 95 and, and get all juiced up again. Of course, Lex Luger here, he is not taking steroids in 1993 because Vince McMahon won't allow it. Luger referring to himself as a mesomorph. You don't hear that every day, but he does put himself over, as usual, per Lex Luger here. Lex Luger talks about steroids in the wrestling business. He doesn't know anyone who takes steroids. All righty, Lex. As we head back to the ring, it's Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna in his corner. Taking on Rich Myers. Luna, before the match, she spits on Rich Myers. Mmm, sexy there, Luna. As Bam Bam takes over, it's a nasty back suplex, an avalanche into the corner. He goes for a delayed vertical suplex on Rich Myers and then just lets him go. That's right. He gives him the suplex without even dropping himself, does Bammer. And Myers takes a nasty bump onto his tailbone there before it's the diving headbutt to end things. Three minutes and 12 seconds as the macho man on commentary all match long continues to shill his electric surprise coming up right after the commercial break and here it is guys yes here it is it's the macho man surprise the big surprise it's 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 the macho midget leading raw girls out to the ring to parade around ringside yes it's apparently denise maria Catherine, and themis though we only saw themis all episode long there are four raw girls walking around the ring with the Macho Midget to close the show. That was the big surprise they built up all hour long. And you wonder why people revolted, why this Macho Midget thing never took off. Well, here it is. And that ends. That's what concludes the final Raw before SummerSlam. Remember, next week is a shortened version of the SummerSlam Spectacular on Monday night. So this is essentially the final Raw, not only before SummerSlam, But this is the final Raw until September 13th, thanks to the U.S. Open. And it closes with the Macho Midget parading around ringside. Unbelievable. And a Summer Slam Jam video will close out this episode. Uh, I noticed a few things here. If you guys remember last week's episode, as they concluded the show, Vince promised, next week it's IRS taking on El Matador. Well, Tito Santana has been released from the company at this point. Of course, that announcement was recorded two weeks prior to when it actually aired. So Tito gone from the company. That match never happens here, thankfully. Also last week, they promised us a Giant Gonzalez promo, which also never happens here. So Giant Gonzalez still missing in action since the superstars before King of the Ring. Think about that, guys. We're two weeks out from SummerSlam, and we haven't seen the Giant Gonzalez on TV since before the King of the Ring. And I did like this week that they sold SummerSlam, but didn't beat it to death. This wasn't about selling buys. Uh, good hard sell on the SummerSlam Spectacular, and of course, especially the cage match here. They end the show with Vince even taking note, announcing more matches and things coming up as part of that USA special. We know we learned that Shawn Michaels is defending the Intercontinental title against Bob Backlund. The Undertaker will be there for a special interview as well. So they're shilling the show. We actually know what to expect as part of the SummerSlam Spectacular. But before we get there, we go to WWF Superstars August 21st. Tape back on July 26th in Utica, New York at the War Memorial. The intro sees Jerry Lawler standing outside somewhere as he brings out the real king. And it's actually an Elvis Presley impersonator driving a pink Cadillac as he rolls down the ring with Hound Dog playing on the radio. This imposter Elvis says it takes a king to know a king. And Lawler is a real king. And Brett, well, he's nothing but a hound dog. I feel like I'm having Hogan Honky Tonk Man Saturday night main event flashbacks here. Lawler says at SummerSlam that he's sending Brett 
to Heartbreak Hotel. And now I'm having The Rock flashbacks, or would it be flash-forwards? Uh, nevertheless, Jerry Lawler and this Elvis impersonator. Lawler gets the most of this guy. He'll use him again here in a special edition King's Court here shortly. He'll also have him cut a promo with him for an episode of USWA TV around this time as well. So Jerry Lawler getting all this use out of this Elvis impersonator, who, by the way, was awful. Looked the part just fine, driving the pink Cadillac. He had all the Elvis gear on, had the hairdo, the Elvis glasses, all that good stuff. But the voice was just not a very good Elvis impersonator at all. And as we head to the Superstars building, it's Vince McMahon and Randy Savage. No Jerry Lawler to be found, but no, no, wait. Lawler shows up last minute. He was outside with the King, remember? And when he gets through with the Hitman, he says the Hitman will be all shook up. As the puns continue, we learn that later on in the show, we'll hear from Rappin' Randy and Men on a Mission. And since Men on a Mission are here to sing, Lawler again with the pun says that Elvis will be back to sing in the ghetto. As we head to the ring, it's Marty Jannetty taking on Barry Horowitz. We get an insert promo from Ludwig Borga, who talks about how Jannetty is a puny, smurf-sized American, and he promises pain, pain, and pain that won't go away at SummerSlam. Marty Jannetty in the ring with the super kick and the flying fist drop gets the win over Horowitz in a minute and 44 seconds as we're off to face-to-face. First, the Peacock version talking about SummerSlam. We hear from the Steiner brothers as well as Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies before we head off to Nassau, Nassau Coliseum in New York, August 27th. Razor Ramon scheduled to take on Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. Let's hear from both guys. All right, let's go to my guest right now, the challenger, Razor Ramon, an Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels with his bodyguard, Diesel. This Friday night, Nassau Coliseum. Tried to talk him out of it. He didn't want to take the deal. So what you got now is the heartbreak kid, the wrestler of the 90s, coming down to Nassau to put the gold on the line against Razor Ramon. Razor, I want you to be good and ready. Make sure you comb your hair with a pork chop. Come out with all your gold. Because, Jack, that's the best you're going to look all night. You know there, kid, heartbreak kid, you smooth, man. You sound so nice on TV. You look so cute. But Chico... When you step into the Nassau Coliseum, man, talking won't be enough. I see guys like you my whole life, man, little pampered rich boys. You've never been slapped around. This Friday, Chico, you're going to get slapped around. And then, Chico, you're going to be hoisted high in the air and dropped on your head. You know something? edge. You know something? What? You're a pretty tough guy. You I are know. a real tough I guy. I know. But take a look at this, pal. Yeah. Nobody just gave this to me. Oh, yeah. I earned it. Oh, Don't yeah. blame me if I'm the best-looking dude in the World Wrestling Federation. Oh, yeah. Just because I can manage to keep a title oh, yeah. and not oh, blemish yeah. this face. Oh, yeah. Don't you blame willing it on to me. Put that face I got news on the for line, you. Man. I'm the two-time Intercontinental Champ, and that ain't going to change, oh, Greaseball. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Don't sing it, Chico. Bring it. I'll be right there. Ready, willing, and waiting. Me too. Razor coming for that Intercontinental title. We'll see that match plenty here over the next couple years in the WWF. But it's just getting going here in 1993. And I love the line Shawn Michaels telling Razor to comb his hair with a pork chop. Good line there by HBK. And a special thank you to Howie D, who has sent in yet more audio clips of face-to-faces on the West Coast market. They're headed back to Anaheim. 
actually tonight, August 21st, the date of this episode of Superstars. So tonight in Anaheim, The Undertaker is scheduled to take on Mr. Hughes. It's actually Mr. Hughes' last night in the company. Imagine that. But here we hear from Harvey Whippleman. He's along with Mr. Hughes. And in the other box screen, it's supposed to be The Undertaker. But all we see is darkness, at least at first. Let's go to that soundbite right now. Mr. Hughes, Harvey Whippleman, and The Undertaker. Uh, Wait a minute. I don't know what's going on. We were scheduled to have The Undertaker here right now. Well, it's obvious to me. The Undertaker don't have the guts to show up for this interview. But tonight, Undertaker, we are so excited. We've had this date circled on our calendar for a long time. And tonight, Mr. Hughes finally gets to end your career. Because tonight, just a few short hours away in the Anaheim Arena, Mr. Hughes is going to send you out of the World Wrestling Federation once and for all, just like he did to Paul Bear. So you be there tonight, man. Get ready, Undertaker. That's right. Undertaker, Anaheim, get ready. I'm coming. Undertaker, you're going down for the last time. Anaheim tonight, you better look out. It's coming the sidewalk slam. Undertaker, you're going down right next to Paul (laughs) Barra. I've risen from the darkness once more. For tonight, revenge is mine. Mr. Hughes, you're a big man. You're a strong man, but you have a weak soul. That makes you my victim. And uh, fun face-to-face promos during this period here from The Undertaker because uh, he does this quite often during this period. Undertaker will be there, and it's all black. It's darkness. All you see is a black screen. He's not, where's The Undertaker? He didn't show up. And then he lifts his head when it's time to talk. And he's been hiding under that hat. And when he looks up, you see his face. Oh, my God, the Undertaker's in the screen. He was there all along. Creepy. Good stuff there by the Undertaker as he heads to get his urn back for Mr. Hughes and Anaheim. As we go back to the ring, it's the Quebecers taking on Dan Dubiel and Scott Despress or Dupree or Dupree. I've, I've heard it announced. I don't know how many different ways here by all these ring announcers right now. So since I have no idea how to pronounce it, I'm just going with the way it's spelled. Scott Despress. Sorry, brother, if I pronounced your name wrong. But the Quebecers, they are not the Mounties. We're not the Mounties! No, we're not! Thank you, Jacques. Jacques Rougeau starts the match off with the Cradle pile driver. What a way to start off a match. And then right away into the backdrop. He backdrops Pierre up into the air to create a somersault senton on top of Dubiel just in the early seconds of the match. Jacques Rougeau then with a spike slam into the Boston Crab as Pierre comes off the middle rope with a leg drop to the back of the head of Dubiel. One, two, but it's Despress who breaks up the cover. I, wonder, I was wondering how they were going to get out of this because I thought to myself, that's one of their finishers, but I also thought, they're like 30 seconds into this match and they're already taking it home. So it was kind of unusual, but then it made sense. Jacques must have made the call. This feels like a Jacques audible. He had a conversation with the young men in the back and said, you come in and you break this up because we want to keep kicking your ass. So Dispress does break up the cover on Dubiel, and then it's Dispress who eats Le Bombe de Rougeau off the top rope. It's Jacques' seated ass press, and then it's the assisted Pierre somersault Sinton off the top rope, the Tower of Quebec, if you will, on top of Dispress, and the Quebecers get the win. And when I say on top of Dispress, I mean, oof, all 300 pounds of Pierre lands right across the body of Dispress here as the Quebecers get the win in two minutes and 13 seconds and it earns not one but two kisses 
from Jacques Rougeau to Pierre, one in the ring and then one again when he sees the beautiful move Pierre landing on the opponent on the video screen walls. They head to the back. Jacques Rougeau so proud of his new Quebecers tag team because we're not the Mounties! They are not the Mounties. Keep that in mind, guys, as we head to update and Gorilla Monsoon as the Lex Express has toured across Chicago, Madison, Wisconsin, and it's coming to California, all over Cali this weekend. Then Gorilla says it's making the big U-turn and headed back to Michigan for SummerSlam. And we get a lot of Who is Lex Luger clips here before we hear from Jim Cornette, Mr. Fuji, and Yokozuna. Well, SummerSlam is just one week away, and Lex Luger, I know you're on that bus. You got your own personal Ralph Cramden sitting up there in the driver's seat, and you're making your way across America. I thought a guy of your stature could have afforded a plane ticket. But maybe you want to be out there with those common people. Maybe you want to be out there crossing the highways and byways. Maybe you want to be out there making a big deal out of yourself because you got to take the opportunity while it lasts. Because when SummerSlam comes around, Lex Luger, you're going to get in a ring with Yokozuna. You're going to get in a ring with the World Wrestling Federation champion. You're going to get in a ring with the most awesome athlete that has ever graced a wrestling ring. You're going to get in a ring with a monster, Lex Luger that's going to tear you up and spit you out because while you're going all across America shaking hands, signing autographs, visiting the schools, visiting the churches, doing everything you can to drum up support, what's he running for an election? I got news for you, Luger. It don't matter who votes for you. You got to do this one yourself, brother. You get in a ring with Yokozuna. All he's got on his mind is taking his teeth and ripping you apart. All he's got on his mind is pleasing the master, Mr. Fuji. And all he's got on his mind is keeping this gold belt over his shoulder. And all he's got on his mind is taking his opponent and teaching him the meaning of the word pain, fear, agony, and defeat. So Luger, when you get ready for SummerSlam, how you, what are you going to think about, man? What are you going to do? How are you going to face this guy? 568 pounds. He's a quarter of a ton of humanity. Maybe humanity's not a proper term. He's a quarter of a ton of meat and bones and flesh. <laughs> and Luger, when that drops on you, you're going to be squashed like a grape. And you only get one chance. The clause in the contract that I put in there because of the way that Mr. Fuji has been discriminated against in the past. The Japanese people are honorable, but they're also deadly. Just like a kamikaze pilot. He'll do anything to achieve his ends. One week, Lex Luger, till your end at SummerSlam. Cornette seems to still be finding himself here in the WWF. He's looking for his WWF-esque promo delivery. But I got to say this much. A average Jim Cornette is a zillion times better than a great Mr. Fuji promo, I must say. So Jim Cornette really making the difference here. We know everything we need to heading into SummerSlam as far as the WWF title match goes. And we go back to the ring. It's Adam Bomb with Johnny Polo in his corner taking on Mike Moraldo. But before this match can start, Vince McMahon on commentary reminds us that the comments we just heard from Jim Cornette and Yokozuna do not represent the Japanese Japanese populace. Vince even says, nor does it represent Asian Americans. They only represent themselves. Yokozuna only represents his own greed. Vince is disgusted in these comments. It's a damn shame Vince has no control over what they say, right? So Vince McMahon basically telling these guys to go out there and cut this promo and then apologizing for the fact that they cut this promo. And as this match gets going, I notice Adam Bomb doesn't even get a ring entrance this week. He's already in the ring. His music playing, yes, but we don't get to see him come down the aisle. I found that kind of unusual. Usually we get the full entrance for these guys. Adam Bomb ready to take on 
Mike Moraldo here. Johnny Polo brings out a folding beach chair this week and a mitt julep as he sits ringside in a chair to watch Adam Bomb destroy Moraldo. It's the top rope clothesline and the Adam Smasher powerbomb picks up the win in just two minutes and 15 seconds before we're given a real treat. Well, that's one word you can use anyway. Because it's that time we were promised at the top of the show. Here it is. It's Rap and Randy joining men on a mission to, to rap all about the call to action campaign and the Lex Express. So here we go. Mo, Oscar, and Mabel, men on a mission, and Randy. Rap and Randy. Here it comes. It's men on a mission. It's Oscar. It's Randy. It's Rap and Randy. Ooh, yeah. This one goes out to everybody all over the USA that heeded the call to action for the mighty Lexus Express. One, two, one, two, three. We're ready, willing, able, and we're destined for success. We felt the call to action for the mighty Lexus Express. The stars and stripes were flying high, we heard the angels sing. The Lex Express man don't go sooner through the wrestling ring. His body slammed around the world, won everybody's boat. It almost knocked the hole right through the bottom of the boat. Yo, we're ready, willing, able, and we're destined for success. We felt the call to action for the mighty Lex Express. For purple mountain majesties from sea to shining sea. Yokozuna's funds are less than they're cracked up to be. Mr. Fuji couldn't cut it, so they got Jim Cornette. By the time Luca's done, they'll be easy to forget. Now SummerSlam is coming to the home of Bill Lambeer and many other Pistons who are really gonna cheer. When Big Fat Yokozuna, who is on a roll, I guess, gets a mega motel welcome from the mighty Lex Express. We're ready, willing, able, and we're destined for success. We felt the call to action for the mighty Lex Express. We're ready, willing, able, and we're destined for success. We felt the call to action for the mighty Lex Express. Lex Express, oh yeah! And of course, Randy Savage would parlay this single into a rap career like 10 years later. Be a man, Hulk! Come on, don't be scared. You're running from Macho, that's what I heard. Diggity dang, Hulk! I never thought Hulk would go out like a chump. Yeah, so anyways, a kind of interesting lyrics here, and as all of Oscar's lyrics are, but they're Ready, Will, and Able. Is that what he's saying? Ready, Will, and Able? Is that their new names? That Mabel became Able? Mo became, Uncle Mo became Will? I don't really know. They're Ready, Will, and Able, and they're destined for success, but then they're singing about Lex Luger and the Lex Express, but yet the, uh, the men on a mission are destined for... I don't, I don't understand what any of this is. As we go back to the ring, it's Mr. Hughes with Harvey Whippleman in his corner getting ready to take on the future Nova, Hollywood Nova, Supernova, Mike Bucci across the ring for Mr. Hughes, who, much like Adam Bomb, doesn't even get a ring entrance here. He's already in the ring ready for the match as we see the sidewalk slam get the win in just one minute and 27 seconds. Post-match, Hughes destroys yet another wreath at ringside, and he grabs the urn and he tells the Undertaker to come and get it. But in reality, I already mentioned this during the face-to-face, the 21st, 
This is the last night Mr. Hughes is in with the company. So Mr. Hughes on his way out the door. I think we only have one more Mr. Hughes match to go before any future matches are actually yanked from programming. And it's also about this time on commentary that Jerry Lawler claims to have gotten a phone call from Elvis Presley out in the parking lot. The girls are all around the pink Cadillac. So, conveniently, Jerry Lawler has to leave the announcing duties in order to help out the other king. And just so happens to be time for a Bret Hart promo as Vince sells it like Lawler's setting Bret up. He's actually waiting somewhere, waiting in the wings to attack the hitman. This is all a big ruse, a ploy for Jerry Lawler to attack Bret Hart. It's actually a ploy to keep you guys tuned into the program instead of tuning out a Bret Hart promo because Jerry Lawler nowhere to be found in this next segment, which is Bonnie Blackstone up on the stage interviewing the hitman Bret Hart about SummerSlam. Bonnie introduces the real king of the ring and talks about Jerry Lawler being the only guy who doesn't respect that. Bret says he's earned all of his titles and earned all of his accomplishments, not like that lousy, stinking hyena Lawler. Okay, he didn't say that here, but it would have been cool if he did. Clips are actually shown of Lawler attacking Bret Hart at King of the Ring, laying out Owen Hart from Wrestling Challenge, and harassing Stu and Helen from that episode of Monday Night Raw. And of all the things the King has done, Bret said he and Owen are big boys. Apparently Stu is not a big boy because he only says he and Owen are big boys and they can handle themselves, but apparently Stu and Helen cannot. And that's where the king crossed the line, harassing the parents of the hitman and Owen Hart. He says Lawler will pay in the SummerSlam. And after the SummerSlam, Lawler will respect the name H-A-R-T. So there's two words Bret Hart can spell now. Here in promos, as we go back to the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna Vachon taking on Bobby Who. We get an insert promo from Tatanka and the Smoking Guns talking that six-man tag match at SummerSlam. Bam Bam with a quick win here. Diving headbutt gets the win just one minute, five seconds. And now Jerry Lawler conveniently returns to commentary now that Bret Hart is long gone. And it's time for the SummerSlam report as we get interviews from Shawn Michaels about his match with Mr. Perfect. The Million Dollar Man and Razor Ramon both talk about their upcoming match. We even hear from the Heavenly Bodies and Jim Cornette. They'll be taking on the Steiners at SummerSlam. And I even made a note here, it's the first time we actually hear Jimmy Del Rey on the mic as he cuts a brief promo there as part of the Heavenly Bodies Cornette interview. Back to the ring with Ready, Will, and Able. Now, it's men on a mission with Oscar in their corner taking on Iron Mike Sharp and Jeff LeBow. Uncle Mo starts out with the loud Iron Mike Sharp on commentary. Mo with the back suplex and Mabel tagged in as Sharp tries a slam on Mabel, but it's no-go. So Mabel, in turn, slams the big Iron Mike Sharp with one arm, I might add, Mabel using one hand to slam the 300-pound Mike Sharp. He's a big boy. Mabel then with the spinning heel kick on Sharp as LeBowl hits the ring. He runs right into a double choke slam from men on a mission. And then Mo, Uncle Mo, goes to the top rope. He looks for that bulldog or whatever you want to call it where he comes off and hits Mabel with it to give Mabel the assisted splash. But Mo just launches his body like a flying body attack He's so far away, and he has no idea what the hell he's doing. Just kind of falls into the top of Mabel, and Mabel falls on top of LeBowl for the win here. Just looks so random, so awkward the way Mo <laughs> bounced into Mabel. Just terrible stuff from Unky Mo as the men on a mission pick up the win, two minutes and eight seconds. And it's off to more face-to-face over on the Peacock. More SummerSlam talk between Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels. And then headed to Nassau Coliseum in New York, August 27th. It's the Macho Man and The Undertaker scheduled to take on 
Mr. Hughes and the Giant Gonzalez at this point, we're going to hear from the Macho Man and the Undertaker. How well will they get along? We have a tag team war on our hands when the Undertaker teams up with the Macho Man Randy Savage and they face the combination of Mr. Hughes and the Giant Gonzalez. All right, standing by right now, we have the Macho Man Randy Savage and The Undertaker. As you can see, they are not together, but they will be together this Friday night at the Nassau Coliseum. Now the question is, The Undertaker is not known as a team wrestler. Now, Mr. Savage, how will he coexist with The Undertaker? We'll find out this Friday. Now, Undertaker, what are your comments towards this matchup this Friday night at the Nassau Coliseum? It seems that the demons have summoned me once more to rise from the darkness, not for a match, but for a war. The giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes. Vengeance is mine. And anyone or anything that gets in front of me, Nassau Coliseum, you will be destroyed. I have one mission, and that is to annihilate one Mr. Hughes and one giant Gonzalez. Got chills right there. Opposites do a track that's going to be Black Friday, this Friday night at the Nassau Coliseum. Expect the unexpected. Why would it be the Undertaker's partner? That's okay. Yeah, I'll take a chance. I'm way in that zone anyway. Yeah, Giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes, you're in trouble, Harvey Whippleman. I'm thinking that Nassau Coliseum is Black Friday night. This Friday's Black Friday. Cold and callous is my partner. I bring the people up. And he brings the people down, yeah. I wouldn't buy any unripe bananas, yeah, of Harvey Whippleman, because the situation is this. It's partly cloudy, yeah. And I'm thinking that uh, The Undertaker is worried if, uh, if I get in his way, I know I would be history. But you guys are done. You're out, out, out of the Dirt World Wrestling Federation. Black Friday, this Friday night, Nassau Coliseum. Everybody come down and get ready for darkness. Well, Macho is right about one thing. They're both out, out, out of the company are the Giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes very shortly here. Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Taker at this point scheduled to take on that duo. As we go back to superstars, Vince McMahon shills the SummerSlam Spectacular upcoming tomorrow night. More video of the Lex Express on the go. They're headed to Anaheim here tonight on the 21st, and it's off to Albuquerque, New Mexico, St. Louis, Missouri, Springfield, and Peoria, Illinois on the 28th. That's Saturday the 28th. No schedule for the 29th at Lex Express, but on the 30th, it's all about SummerSlam as Lex will pull in to the arena on the Lex Express. What do you figure Lex did there on the 29th? I'm thinking five-star hotel, huh? As we move on to WWF Mania for August 21st, it's Todd Pettengill and tag team partner, the macho man Randy Savage. We get an exclusive interview. Bonnie Blackstone speaks with Yokozuna, Jim Cornette, and Mr. Fuji. They're inside a studio somewhere conducting an interview about Lex Luger's one chance at beating Yoko for the belt. And an exclusive match this week on Mania, and what an exclusive it is. It's Virgil scoring a win over Barry Hardy, 3 minutes and 26 seconds with the Russian leg sweep. That was taped back on July 26th in Utica. We move on to an episode of WWF Spotlight for August 21st. Is Gorilla Monsoon now hosting? He's replaced Terry Taylor in the spot. Gorilla jokes about a new producer 
taking over in the editing area as apparently Gorilla had the other one fired or maybe beat up the one from last week. I don't know. I don't have the episode. I'm a little curious now as to what Gorilla is alluding to here as he opens the show. But we do see another exclusive. This one taped in Salisbury, Maryland back on July 7th. It's Marty Jannetty scoring a pinfall over Papa Shango. Gorilla Monsoon, when he throws to this match, says, we're going to go to Marty Jannetty taking on the man with the screaming skull. Papa Shango, the screaming skull, huh, Gorilla? I think he meant smoking skull, but we get the point. But Marty Jannetty over Papa Shango, five minutes and 30 seconds with a roll-up after Papa Shango shot Jannetty into the ropes, went for the knee to the gut, and Jannetty flipped over into the roll-up, the schoolboy, if you will. Jannetty scored the win there over Papa Shango. And it's off to a face-to-face here on Spotlight as we talk about SummerSlam. In one instance, we hear from Jim Cornette and Yokozuna talking about Lex Luger. And then we hear from Jim Cornette again, this time with the Heavenly Bodies, and they have words with the Steiner Brothers. One week from this Monday night at Detroit on pay-per-view cable TV, my guests at this time, World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers, are coming home to defend against Jim Cornette's Heavenly Bodies, and they are Dr. Tom Pritchard and Jigolo Jimmy Del Rey. You know, Mr. Cornette, Jim Cornette, I've got to give you credit. You, you got sure this do. title Better. shot for your men in a big hurry. I'm impressed. What are you talking about a big hurry? It took like five, six days. Oh, I'm not used to things oh, taking that long. But I'll tell you something. Speaking about time, it's only one week from this Monday night, Steiners. Only one week from this Monday night, you've got to worry and wait and get sick at your stomach. Thinking about SummerSlam. Thinking about people all over the world seeing you get beaten by the heavenly bodies. We're going to prove that we're the greatest tag team in professional wrestling. We're going to prove that we dominate everyone, no matter what organization or federation that we're involved with. And Steiner Brothers, like I've said before, we're no strangers to each other. And I know that you guys, you've got million-dollar bodies, but you've got ten-cent brains. And just like a couple of dinosaurs, after SummerSlam, you're going to be extinct. (laughs) One thing they do have is the hometown crowd, right, Scotty? You know, Mean Gene, in one week away... Heavenly Bodies and Jim Cornette are going to find out in Detroit, Michigan, it's going to be a lot easier getting in the ring than getting out. Rick? You know, Gene, my brother and I can't wait to get to Detroit. These two snot no punk think they're going to come in and take our belts. One thing me and my brother like more than one thing, that's fresh meat. Who, 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 these Steiners defending against the Heavenly Bodies at SummerSlam as we move on to Wrestling Challenge August 22nd, taped July 27th, Plattsburgh, New York at the Crete Civic Center. Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary as we go straight to a King's Court. This week, Lawler talks with Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna, but before we get to that, the King has to put himself over as he says we're one week away from SummerSlam, one week away from Lawler proving there's only one true King here in the WWF, and then it's on to Yoko, Jim Cornette, and Mr. Fuji. Lawler says, something else will be proved at SummerSlam when Yokozuna proves he's the greatest WWF champion of all time. Jim Cornette says the king can understand prejudice due to all the pretenders that pretend to be king, like Bret the Hitman Hart. But Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji, they were discriminated against by the WWF, by President Jack Tunney, They were never given proper translators for the contracts, so apparently Jim Cornette now a Japanese interpreter, it would appear. Corny goes on to say that Yoko's goals are simply to serve his master Fuji, defeat Lex Luger, and retain the WWF title. Corny even says, how fitting that this match is taking place in Detroit, home 
of the American automotive industry. How fitting, because Japanese automotives have crushed America, just like Yokozuna will crush Lex Luger and the spirit of America. Yokozuna follows that up with a simple sayonara. So apparently Yoko back to no English, unfortunately. I was, I was enjoying those sound bites of Yokozuna speaking English, but now that Corny's here, he really doesn't ever have to speak English again. So uh, back to sayonara here in Bonsai, I assume. And it's at this point, Jerry Lawler brings a young kid, a, a young little boy out from out of the crowd, and he's got with him a call to action campaign, a I want you Lex Luger poster in his hands. Lawler asks the young little boy, who is the real king of the WWF? The kid says it's the hitman. An angry Jerry Lawler snatches the poster and hands it to Yokozuna, who rips the Lex Luger poster into pieces. And this kid sells it fucking awesome. Like a million bucks. This kid was fucking phenomenal. Cornette says Yokozuna may not be Uncle Sam, but at SummerSlam, Lex Luger, Yoko wants you. Pretty good stuff there by Jim Cornette. Lawler then looks down at the kid and says, get out of here, you little brat. As Heenan laughs on commentary about the whole bit, I wrote, this was awesome. Or this lacked in actual words between Cornette and Lawler. Just some basic stuff between these guys here, but the stuff they did with the kid and the kid's reaction and everything just made this worthwhile. Great segment. It was a great segment because of that, I felt. Great heel work. These guys are masters of that psychology, masters of that heel heat, especially both working the Southern territories and they know how to get heat and they got it here with at the expense of this kid at the expense of Lex Luger, Bret Hart, uh, good stuff by uh, both guys. I also noted here, and I couldn't find any information of this online, at least where I look. If I'm not mistaken, this kid looked extremely familiar to me. In fact, I wrote, I thought maybe I'm wrong. I thought that this kid was actually one of Bret Hart's kids, which would make sense. I felt immediately before I saw the kid that this kid had to have relations to somebody in the company. And since they were going to talk about Lex Luger, I was curious to see if it ended up being his son because we've seen his son on the I'll Be Your Hero video. We've seen his son in that opening promo from the Survivor Series upcoming. So I kind of have an idea of what Lex Luger's son looks like. But this was definitely not Luger's son. However, I said, this kid still looks really familiar, oddly familiar. And I swear that it's uh, I've seen him in the old Bret Hart music videos. So I'm thinking this is one of Bret Hart's kids, if I'm not mistaken. And if true... He has better facial expressions than Bret Hart does because he sold this shit tremendously. Great job by this kid. And I don't know how old he was here, six, seven, whatever the deal may have been. He was very young and he understood, he understood his part and did an excellent job. So I don't know what he knew was coming, what he didn't know, but his confused look, his appalled look, it was, it was great stuff from whoever this kid ended up being. We go to the ring. It's Razor Ramon kicking things off with Barry Hardy here. And the bad guy looks down at the ring attendant and he says, you know it by now, Chico. And he makes the ring attendant tell him, if something happens to gold, something happens to me. As we get an insert promo from Ted DiBiase in the ring, it's Razor Ramon with a fallaway slam, the choke slam, a back superplex, and the Razor's Edge. Picks up the win in just two minutes and 12 seconds. And I didn't really remember it this way, but this is this match between DiBiase and Razor, I swear to you, I remember the angles leading into this match. I remember offering him to, to give him a job. And I remember the one, two, three kid pinning DBS. I remember all of the actual angles that led to this match, but I'll be damned if I remember it being hard sold and just pushed down our throat. Like it has not necessarily in a good way or a bad way, but just every week they're really focusing on this match. I dare say this match is pushed more than Sean versus Mr. Perfect at this point. Certainly. 
and pretty much any other mid-card match on the show. As we move on to face-to-face, headed to the Nassau Coliseum next week, August 27th, we hear from Harvey Whippleman and Mr. Hughes. They'll get ready to team with the Giant Gonzalez to take on the Macho Man and the Undertaker. The Undertaker also slated for this edition of face-to-face, but again, he's a no-show. Or is he? Joining us right now, face-to-face, a couple of men who are going to be involved. Wait a minute. Guys, did we lose a feed there in remote number two? Apparently, well, The Undertaker, who's going to be teaming up with the Macho Man Randy Savage to meet the eight-foot-tall Giant Gonzalez. His partner, Mr. Hughes, is joined right now by manager Harvey Whippleman. Gentlemen, they're calling this a tag team war. Harvey, do you know what that means? Yes, I know what it means, but after what I saw on TV yesterday with Randy Savage and The Undertaker, I don't believe these two guys can gel as a team. I don't believe they can get along well enough to be a good tag team unit. On the other hand, my men wrestle as one. That's a unit right here, the Giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes. They're not going to be losers like the stupid-looking New York Mets. They're going to be a team, a well-oiled machine, and they are going to take out the Undertaker, and the Macho Man Wait a minute. this Friday night. Wait a minute, Harvey. Keep in mind incentive. Keep in mind revenge. You know what Hughes is holding there. That's the urn that belongs to the Undertaker. I don't belong to him, does it, Mr. Hughes? That's right. It doesn't belong to him no more. You see, the man has came to land. Now, Undertaker, you want this back? You think you're a man? You come and get it, boy. Yes, you Friday see, night. everybody has a holiday. Friday is my day. You and that other boy is going down. Exactly, Gene. So you tell the Undertaker he better bring a what? Wait a minute. In one week's time, I will rise once more from the depths of the dark side. And as the clouds fill the sky over that Nassau Coliseum, let it be known when I leave, I'll have in my possession an urn with two souls to fill. And if Mr. Savage wants to take the rotting bones with him, That'll be his decision. The Undertaker again popping up out of nowhere to cut his side of the promo there on Face to Face. And if you guys are wondering, what happens? You said Mr. Hughes leaves after the 21st. What happens in this instance? Well, Adam Baum winds up replacing. I think we've discussed that a little bit already when we were talking about the house shows, but Adam Baum replaces Mr. Hughes on any matches Hughes was scheduled to wrestle over the next several weeks at the house shows. So it's Adam Baum and the Giant Gonzalez. At this point, what a what a tag team that would make. And we go back to the ring. It's the Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette taking on Darren Trujillo and Kurt Sloan as we get a Steiner Brothers insert promo. Tom Pritchard with a nice sit-out powerbomb on Sloan during the match. Then an interesting double-team move is Del Rey hooks Sloan for a DDT, but Tom Pritchard clotheslines his own partner. Tom Pritchard clotheslines Jimmy Del Rey down. It's supposed to add force to the DDT on Sloan. Problem is, Sloan doesn't take the bump. Only Del Rey does. Sloan takes the bump about two seconds later. Really sloppy stuff here as Sloan is forced to tag out. Del Rey with a nice-looking super kick. It's the body's double flapjack. And a moonsault on Trujillo gets the win in two minutes and six seconds. Solid win for the challengers headed into SummerSlam. And it's time for Special Report with Lord Alfred Hayes as we get more Who is Lex Luger excerpts. And back to the ring, it's one, two, three, kid taking on Lloyd on Hawaii, or as he's known here in the WWF, Fred Williams. Williams starts off with a little bit of offense actually running over the kid. Of course, Williams like a 300-pounder. The kid, well, you know what he looks like. So Williams running him over early, and it makes a lot of sense. But the kid comes back with a nice spinning kick. Kid even cuts an insert promo on IRS during the match. 
He says he's coming at Rotunda 100%, and whatever happens, happens. All right, kid. Back to the action as the kid actually tries to slam Fred Williams, but Williams takes over briefly before the kid turns a backdrop into a dropkick. Williams shoots the kid up into the air, but the kid rotates his body in midair and turns it into a nice dropkick, and then it's more fancy footwork by the kid and an insiguri to Williams' face. The kid, though, runs into a foot in the corner. Fred Williams, though, misses a stinger splash. Kid moves out of the way, and Williams goes over the buckle, hits his head onto the ring post, a la family member Samu, and then the kid off the top rope with a somersault body block. On top of Fred Williams gets the win in two minutes and 25 seconds. This is time for the SummerSlam report. Bret Hart talks about wrestling Jerry Lawler. In the SummerSlam. And we also see a Undertaker promo from the graveyard as he appears to be digging the grave of the giant Gonzalez. And back to the ring, it's the Smoking Guns taking on the Brooklyn Brawler and Dwayne Gill. We get a Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna insert promo about SummerSlam and the six-man tag. In the ring, it's the guns with the double Russian leg sweep and the revolver, the Billy Gun backdrop into the Bart Gun, what's supposed to be a pile driver, but only hits one out of every 46 times, and it doesn't hit here this week. Just awful, as it's Dwayne Gill thrown back into this supposed pile driver, but by the time Bart lands, it looks like a power bomb, and Gill actually lands on the legs of Bart Gun to make it even worse. So I wrote, stop doing this move. For fuck's sakes, guys. The Guns pick up the win in 1 minute, 36 seconds. As we continue to hype WrestleMania, the album, this week it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the USA video. And how fitting, because later tonight, Hacksaw Jim Duggan scheduled to take on Yokozuna. As we go back to the ring, though, it's Ludwig Borga taking on Bert Centeno. We get an insert promo from Borga. He says that there will be no escape for Marty Jannetty at SummerSlam. He even gives us a little warrior snarl at the end of the promo. Interesting there. Borga attacks Centeno in the ring. Lots of, lots of body shots and headbutts. Very believable offense here from a fighter like Ludwig Borga. He scoops Centeno into a side slam, but before dropping him, he mocks the fans. He looks at the fans and says, USA! And he drops him. So a little personality here by Borga, even though he's an asshole. Side slam, and I wrote, what a heel, as Jim Ross begins to talk on commentary. The hate that runs through Ludwig Borga's body. You're not shitting there, JR. Borga gets the win here with the jumping clothesline, the lariat, if you will, and kneels over Centeno for the pin. Two minutes and 25 seconds. Jim Ross says Borga will be in action at the SummerSlam Spectacular as well, but he actually won't be, JR. And I wrote, not every heel gets an immediate shove like this. And even though everyone who comes in wins their initial squash matches, well, unless you're Bastion Booger, but typically everybody comes in, they win their squash matches. But Borga's push just feels more aggressive and, and straight to a main event position. And I certainly bought it during this time period. So I, I felt like it worked. Great job. And it's obvious he's headed towards a uh, collision with, with Lex Luger, Mr. USA. Of course, as we head off to face to face in the New York market, more Nassau Coliseum talk for August 27th. We hear from Luna Vachon, who will be managing Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow scheduled to take on Mr. Perfect. Let's listen to what Mr. Perfect has to say about Luna Vachon. Joining me at this time, representation for Bam Bam Bigelow, Luna Vachon. Welcome, dear. And also the man that Bam Bam is going to be facing, Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect, 
It could be a big one for you this Friday night out on Long Island. Well, it certainly is, Gene. You know, this guy stands over 400 pounds, six foot six. Bam Bam Bigelow has proven himself here in the World Wrestling Federation. There's no doubt in my mind, for a big man, he's got all the moves, he's got all the agility, but then again, he's far from perfect. Something else he's and got right there. what makes you there. think you're perfect? Yes, Luna Vachon, what is your association, your relationship with Bam Bam Bigelow? Well, naturally, I'm his main squeeze, <laughs> but Nassau... You're his only squeeze. Well, he's got more squeeze than you'll ever know about. All I've got to say is this to you. All your little perfect fanatics and Nassau Coliseum are gonna learn that you are not the wing nut that keeps the whole wrestling civilization together. Wait, wait a minute. In fact, that you're absolutely not so perfect at all. I bet you'd like Mr. to Mr. Perfect, I've got to ask you a question. A pretty lady isn't going to turn your eye now, is she? <laughs> you know what they say about gremlins, don't feed them after dark. Oh. <laughs> you and just that? who do you think that you're calling a gremlin? Oi, Kurt! Keep her out and of the your light. Unforced you keep your mouth shut, Luna Vashon, and keep your nose out of my business. Bam Bam Bigelow, Friday night at the Nassau Coliseum. It's going to come down to Bigelow versus Perfect. I know what you're made of. You're a big guy. You're a great wrestler. Bottom line is, nobody beats Thank Mr. You, Perfect. Mr. Nobody. Perfect, Luna Vashon, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Mr. Perfect meet this Friday night at the Nassau County Coliseum. Wow. Wow, some good stuff there. He has more squeeze than you'll ever know about. Uh, Hennig has to chuckle to that. He references gremlins. As, uh, Luna Vachon is a gremlin. You can't feed her after dark. Don't feed her after midnight. I never understood that because it's always midnight somewhere. So uh, the gremlins know at times. Well, let's get back to this. You even, you even hear near the end of the promo, Luna Vachon call Mr. Perfect Kurt. So this is a fun little stuff there. Nice little Easter eggs in this face-to-face. As we close out this episode of Challenge, Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan shill the SummerSlam Spectacular, and part of that is Yokozuna, WWF champion, taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Duggan just had a newborn daughter, if you guys will recall, and Bobby Heenan on commentary says that Duggan shouldn't worry, because after he wrestles Yokozuna tonight on SummerSlam Spectacular, he can go home and be with his new baby girl for as long as he wants. I wrote, true, because that's kind of what happens. As we move on to All-American for August 21st, it's Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan hosting. We get an All-American exclusive this week. The Bushwhackers defeat the Quebecers. Yes, the Bushwhackers defeat the Quebecers at around the seven-minute mark when Butch pins Jacques Rougeau with a roll-up. After the bout, the Quebecers attack the Bushwhackers in the aisleway and lay them out. This was taped on July 27th in Plattsburgh, New York. I noted here... It just seems the Bushwhackers always have the Rougeau's number. Always beating the Rougeau brothers and now beating the up-and-coming Quebecers, of all things. Unbelievable on All-American. The Bushwhackers over the Quebecers. We also get an exclusive interview as Bonnie Blackstone interviews the Heavenly Bodies and Jim Cornette in the studio. Before moving on to WWF on TSN for August 22nd, more face-to-face. In fact, three more face-to-faces here in Canada. First, it's London Gardens on August 29th. Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon scheduled to take on Diesel and Shawn Michaels. All right, let's go to my guest right now. Razor Ramon, Mr. Perfect, (laughs) Shawn Michaels, and his bodyguard Diesel. All right, interesting matchup. Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect has been your nemesis for quite some time, but how do you feel 
about him teaming up with Razor Ramon. Well, you know, the way I see it, this man right here is totally devoted to me. My safety is the most important thing in the world to him. Now, he's going to be there. I can count on him through thick and thin. But I can also remember not so long ago when Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon used to be at each other's throats. The question I have for them is can they count on each other? Hey, boy toy, you're right, man. We went toe to toe, man. And one thing I know is that Perfecto can go. He tough. The one thing nobody knows is can Diesel go? Perfecto, what do you think? I don't think Diesel can go. He may be a bodyguard and he may be six foot ten and weigh 300 pounds. But Diesel, you're looking at a man here who is a fighter. Shawn Michaels, you want to wrestle, you'll get a wrestling match. And Diesel, if you want to fight, you got a fighter. Let me tell you something, Perfect. The way I look at it, you ain't even going to make it to SummerSlam. And you know something? He may be 6'10". No, he is 6'10". He is 330. He is a fighter, and he's got a sledgehammer for a right hand. And both of you two are going to get introduced to the biggest punch in the World Wrestling Federation at the hands of we'll my bodyguard, Steve all righty, Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect scheduled to team up to take on Shawn Michaels and Diesel. That's a that's a click dream come true, plus Mr. Perfect in there as well. Also coming to Canada in September, all along the tour, it's The Undertaker scheduled to take on Mr. Hughes. We're going to hear from Mr. Hughes, and there appears to be an issue, a black screen across from him. We were scheduled to hear from The Undertaker. Well, you know what happens, so I'll just take you to that right now. It's Mr. Hughes and The Undertaker. That's right! Undertaker, you want this? You come and get it. You call yourself a man? You're a dead man. That's where you're going to stay. Dead on the ground right next to Paul Bell. That's I give you that sidewalk slam. Undertaker, you are going down for the last time. I guarantee. Up from the depths of eternal darkness, the evil rises once more. Mr. Hughes, you were warned. I give you the opportunity to return my urn. And you laughed. Now you must feel the wrath of the Reaper. Mr. Hughes, rest in peace. All right, that promo was joined in progress. Out of my control, guys. But we have one more promo, and this is a fun one here. And Razor Ramon scheduled to take on IRS one-on-one in Moncton on September 9th. Let's listen to what they have to say. All right, let's get to my guest right now, Razor Ramon and IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. Erwin R. Scheister, not so long ago, you offered Razor a job. Now, that does that offer still stand? You know it does, Ray. And Razor, oh, yeah. you're a fool for not accepting that offer because right now you could be making good money with Money Incorporated, shining our shoes, waxing and washing our cars, and doing our toilets. (laughs) But no, you want to make your money by getting beat up instead. And let me point something out. That could be tax-free money you're making. And in Moncton, you're going to find out you're going to earn your money the hard way, Razor Ramon. Okay, let's rewind a little bit there, rich man, tax man. (laughs) Three times, you're the tag team champion. You're great. No denying it. But you want to talk down a man like Razor, huh? Somebody who works with their hands. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with my hands, man. Sometimes I've done some bad things. 
but Chico. I do it for me. I don't work for you, man. <laughs> I work for the bad guy. And right here in Moncton, you're going to find out just what the bad guy can do with these hands. You know something, Razor? You remind me of the people in Moncton. Oh, yeah. Because they work too, and just like them, you probably never paid a dime oh, yeah. of income tax. Oh, and you're yeah. gonna find out when you go against IRS, you're gonna pay. Try to collect. Try to collect. Alright, we move away from TSN and move on to the WWF SummerSlam Spectacular. 8 o'clock Eastern Sunday night. The SummerSlam Spectacular special two-hour program on USA, August 22nd, 1993. This was taped this past Monday as part of the Monday Night Raw tapings, August 16th, in Poughkeepsie. And we kick things off, it's Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon hosting. Well, that's a different announced team. Very interesting there. I kind of was upset that we didn't get a little Bobby Heenan in here, but it's a little different. Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary for this one. As we go to the ring, we kick things off right away with WWF champion Yokozuna, Mr. Fuji in his corner. No Jim Cornette out here with him. Taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is a non-title match as we see a picture of Jim Duggan holding his new baby daughter, Celia, on the TV screen as the match gets going. Yokozuna in the corner, tossing salt out of his bucket. Jim Duggan attacks him from behind. And Hacksaw goes for his 2 by 4 right away, but the referee takes it away from Duggan. And as Duggan argues with the referee, he's attacked from Yokozuna's several thrust chops to the throat as Fuji even lays in a cheap shot on Duggan with the flagpole, chokes him with the flagpole while Yoko has the referee's attention. Duggan then gets tossed out of the floor, but he hulks himself up. Duggan is pissed off, and he comes back in with a combo of punches, rights and left, the fastest I've ever seen Duggan throw punches in his life, at least in the ring. But Yoko comes back with one big shot of his own and drops Duggan with one big shot and then a leg drop across the head of Hacksaw. Yoko then goes into a bear hug sequence. Duggan finally escapes it, but Hacksaw tries for a big body slam. And he can't do it. Yokozuna falls on top of Duggan, and it's right back into the bear hug as we go to a commercial break. Duggan escapes yet again, this time biting the face of Yokozuna. Really cool facials there by Duggan as he gets ready to bite the face of Yoko and escape the bear hug a second time. But Yoko sends Duggan back into the corner and chokes him out, hanging across the ring ropes. As we get USA chance, the fans rallying behind Axaw Jim Duggan. He comes back laying in some punches, more rights and lefts. But Yokozuna sends him into the corner. Yoko for the big flying butt avalanche into the corner, but Duggan moves. And Hacksaw back on the offense. Again, he fires up more big punches. One clothesline, two clothesline. A third clothesline is the charm. He drops Yokozuna like he did all those months ago. Hacksaw takes the big Yokozuna off his feet again and Duggan into the corner for the three-point stance. But Mr. Fuji trips his leg behind the referee's back, and as Duggan is distracted by Fuji in the corner, Yokozuna from behind with the flying butt avalanche into the corner just smashes Duggan into the corner, and then it's the bonsai drop. Picks up the win in 9 minutes and 30 seconds. Yokozuna pins Hacksaw Jim Duggan heading into SummerSlam. A piece of Americana died at King of the Ring, and another piece here, Lex Luger is going to have to pick it up for us. After the match, Yokozuna tries to give Hacksaw a second bonsai drop, much like he did when he took Hacksaw out all those months ago. This time, officials to ringside, they drag Hacksaw out of the ring before any more damage can be done. This marks Hacksaw's final match 
with the WWF during this near seven-year run. So Hacksaw, this is the last time we see him until he pops up in WCW in just over a year. And post-match backstage as Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji come through the curtain, they're greeted by Jim Cornette, who's waiting for him back there, and Vince McMahon. I wrote, what an odd area for a promo. You can tell this is legit. Yokozuna sweating from the match. As Vince McMahon back there to talk to them, the story here is that Lex Luger has woken the sleeping giant. He's angered the beast. Cornette says, Yoko was never really sleeping. He's just rabid now. And more wild and out of control than he ever was before. And bigger, too. And I'll get to that in a minute. Corny says that he and Mr. Fuji don't want what Yoko's going to do to Lex Luger on their conscience. After SummerSlam, but Yokozuna himself, he has no conscience. Cornette talks about three bonsai drops that Yoko plans to land on Lex Luger at the pay-per-view with Luger's insides exploding. And remember, Lex, you asked for this. Yoko will retain the title at SummerSlam, says Jim Cornette in Luger's one and only opportunity. And just a minute ago, I mentioned I was going to touch on Yokozuna's weight gain. It's very evident here as as fast-paced for his size as Yokozuna was in the early part of 1993. It's really become evident since at least WrestleMania 9. He has really slowed down. He's fine for what he does in the ring, but the stamina is clearly gone, and the quickness in which he throws his moves also gone. So the weight already starting to affect Yokozuna, and he's not even a year into his run here in the WWF. The show continues on. We see highlights of the Razor Ramon Ted DiBiase feud before we go back to the ring. It's Blake Beverly headed out to take on Razor Ramon, and it appears Blake has not only ditched his mustache, but also the Beverly brother cape as well. He comes out with cool-looking white tights, though, but he's actually already done with the company here by this point is Blake Beverly. We'll see him a few more weeks on TV, but for all intents and purposes, Blake Beverly already gone from the company. Gorilla Monsoon announces on commentary that Aaron Neville will be at SummerSlam. He asks JR, what will Aaron Neville be doing? That's when JR announces that Aaron Neville's there to sing the national anthem as part of the SummerSlam pay-per-view. As the match gets started, Blake shoves Ramon, which causes Razor to flick his toothpick into the face of Blake Beverly, but Beverly comes back with a couple of nasty slaps across the face of the bad guy. I wrote, awesome. Razor gets hot at Beverly, but Blake bails and Razor chases him around ringside, allowing Beverly to take over with a side headlock in the ring. He uses the hair of Ramon to keep the side headlock attached, but Razor pulls the hair of Beverly to escape. It's tit for tat here, apparently. Or as the gorilla would say, turn around is fair play. Razor nails a couple of big right hands, and then the spinning right hand says Blake Beverly flipping upside down. Great bump there by Mike Enos. Razor charges at Blake, but Blake with a backdrop sends Razor over the top rope and out to the floor, which allows Blake the time to remove a turnbuckle pad, exposing one of the steel buckles in the corner while referee Danny Davis was busy with Ramon. Back inside the ring, Blake Beverly with a nasty-looking hangman's neckbreaker on Razor, and then he whips Razor into that exposed buckle. As the bad guy sells his back, Blake works it over with a backbreaker and then a power slam. The cocky Blake Beverly kneels over Razor Ramon for a cover, but Ramon turns it into a sunset flip for his own near fall. Blake Beverly right back on top as he wipes the bad guy out with a clothesline, and Blake says, that's it, to mock Razor Ramon. Blake Beverly paintbrushes the face, smacks back and forth across the face of Razor Ramon in the corner as he tries to Irish whip the bad guy into the exposed buckle again, but this time Razor Ramon reverses, and Blake goes hard to the exposed steel and staggers forward right into the Razor's edge 
It's Razor Ramon picks up the win in six minutes and nine seconds. I wrote, nice little win here for Razor Ramon before SummerSlam. This won't be the last time Scott Hall invades a Mike Enos segment, if you get my drift. And for those who don't, see Scott Hall debut, WCW Nitro. As we move on, Lex Luger and the Lex Express still on the go. And then it's off to yet another Jerry Lawler promo with this imposter Elvis Presley in the pink Cadillac as they're outside somewhere. It's uh, supposedly a special edition of the King's Court, says Jerry Lawler, as Jerry is with Elvis here. The King asks E when this Cadillac was made, and Elvis replies, it's a 1959. Lawler says that's kind of funny because Bret Hart's mom was already 70 when this Cadillac was made. Oh my. Lawler asks Elvis how it feels to be impersonated by so many imposters. Elvis says he knows what the King means. Apparently, Presley was just out having lunch with his good friend JFK. Jeez. And they were both talking about their former girlfriend, Marilyn Monroe. And apparently, Elvis, Marilyn, and JFK, none of them like imposters. Presley asks Lawler how it feels for people like Bret Hart to pretend to be the king. Lawler promises to break Bret Hart in half at SummerSlam, and he will never pretend to be a king again, says Jerry Lawler. Elvis says Bret Hart will have trouble even pretending to be a wrestler after SummerSlam. Wow. And while Lex Luger has this Lex Express, apparently Jerry Lawler has this pink Cadillac as they sail off on their way to SummerSlam. I wrote hokey, but whatever. This was really hokey. It was, I'm sure Lawler was having fun doing this, but there was no heat here. There was no, no real substance here other than Lawler getting to cut a promo on a pink Cadillac, which is really what this felt like. But, uh, that was it, Lawler's big promo heading into SummerSlam. And speaking of promos heading into SummerSlam, oh, in the SummerSlam. Right, Brett? In the SummerSlam. That's what I thought. It's time for a Bret Hart promo as he's interviewed by Jim Ross via satellite. Bret Hart says the issue over being King of the Ring was plenty enough. But when Jerry Lawler brought his family in is when he crossed the line. That, my friends, was a no-no. Bret says he can't describe the hatred he has for Jerry Lawler. Then again, Bret... Can't describe much of anything else. He says, the SummerSlam won't be pretty. It won't be fancy. Brett promises mutilation. He promises to mutilate Jerry Lawler. Oh, Jesus. The hitman says he asked his parents not to watch, not to come down to the SummerSlam, but they want to be there and watch firsthand. Bret Hart destroy the king at the SummerSlam. Brett promises that a lot of his family and friends will be there. I wonder if Stubby and Gibby are going to be attending summer. Anyways, Brett says his family and friends will be there to witness him ending the career of the bogus phony king. Boy, Brett, you really have a way with words. And we get pretty much every line we ever get here from Brett Hart. I was actually waiting for him to talk about knocking Lawler down unconscious street. But it never happens here. Brett Hart headed to take on Jerry Lawler next Monday night. In the SummerSlam. Right on. As we head back to the ring, it's Tatanka teaming with the Smoking Guns. Six-man tag team action taking on the team of Barry Horowitz, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Reno Riggins. Not a bad job guy team there. As Tatanka and the Guns prepare for their six-man tag, it's SummerSlam against the Shrinkers and Bam Bam. Here we see Reno and Barry Horowitz. They have cool matching trunks. They're black and neon green. On Reno's, we see dice on Barry Horowitz's hands, you know, the old pat on the back. Horowitz the Brawler and Reno Riggins going to give it a go as the guns dismantle one opponent at a time. Barry, Reno, then the Brawler all go down to the guns. Tatanka finally tags in for a big power slam on the Brawler, but the heels take over on Billy Gunn. It's Horowitz with a nice-looking Northern Lights suplex for a two. 
a hangman's neckbreaker by the brawler, and an extended enhancement beatdown on Billy Gunn. This goes on for a few minutes here. The job guys, the enhancement talent, beating down on Billy Gunn. I kind of dug it. The heels work on Billy, though, as Gorilla Monsoon repeatedly on commentary shits all over the babyface team, questioning them. Uh, Maybe they're thinking about this match too hard, says the Gorilla. He also says they need to work better together or they'll have their clocks clean at SummerSlam. Monsoon not digging the way this storytelling's going in this match. As, as Billy and Reno collide mid-ring, it looks like Billy Gunn nails a flying forearm of sorts, and he makes the hot tag out to Tatanka, who goes on the warpath as chops a plenty on all three of the heels as things break down into a Pier 6 brawl, all six men in the ring, as the guns do their share with the brawler and Horowitz, Tatanka, with a big backdrop on Reno Riggins, shoots him so high, Riggins actually comes down on his feet and has to take a back bump. And a top rope body block from Tatanka. Interesting. Picks up the win in seven minutes and four seconds. You know, they did something very similar to this. If you guys go back to the SummerSlam Spectacular of 1991, heading into that show, there was a six-man tag with Kerry Von Erich, Davey Boy Smith, and Ricky Steamboat taking on Warlord and Power and Glory. Well, on the SummerSlam Spectacular, the Babyface Trio prepared for their match at SummerSlam by taking on the all three members of the Orient Express, Kato, Tanaka, and Akio Sato returned just for that one specific match. And we kind of see that here again as uh, Tatanka and the Guns sharpening their skills for SummerSlam. Nice little touch there. From there, we get an interview. Mean Gene Oakland, perhaps his last in-ring interview, as he talks to The Undertaker, who stands all alone. It's kind of odd seeing The Undertaker in this gimmick, standing all alone in the center of the ring, dressed in his hat and coat. And Gene wants to know, he asked The Undertaker right away, what are the rules to the rest in peace match at SummerSlam? Taker says everyone must be held accountable, and it starts with the giant Gonzalez. He says the giant has tried to destroy what cannot be destroyed. The Undertaker doesn't have Paul Bearer or the urn, but he has the power of the creatures of the night. Apparently, the RIP match is simply this, and I quote straight from The Undertaker's mouth, The R.I.P. match is when the Undertaker takes your flesh and drives his hand deep into your carcass and extracts every living organ that you have. That's what an R.I.P. match is. The Undertaker sticks his hand through your body, into your carcass, and rips your organs out. I don't remember that being a thing at SummerSlam. We'll have to wait and see. Taker then says when it's all over and he returns to the dark side, he will possess the soul of the Giant Gonzalez. This brings out Harvey Whippleman and the Giant Gonzalez. This is the first time we've seen the Giant since June 12th, I believe it was. The Giant Gonzalez returns August 22nd on TV with Harvey Whippleman to confront The Undertaker. The Giant gets in the ring and he gets on the mic and he says to The Undertaker, Undertaker, you potato head, ugly man. You potato head, ugly man. No, wait, that was that was several weeks ago. No, I'm sorry. Here, Instead, the Giant Gonzalez says this time the Undertaker will rest in peace. Well, that's all it takes. The Undertaker removes his coat, removes his hat. He's ready to take on the Giant Gonzalez, but the Gonzalez wants no part of it. So what was a monster that debuted back at the Royal Rumble? Now just a scared man as the Giant Gonzalez leaves ringside. He throws his hands up. I don't want none of you right now. I'll wait till SummerSlam. The Giant Gonzalez leaves ringside, not running, but definitely trying to get away from the Undertaker here. But he does stop, and I found this humorous. And go check this out on the WWE Network, the Peacock, if you will. 
uh, the end of this, when the giant Gonzalez is ringing, leaving up the aisle, he stops in front of the camera long enough to pose and show off his airbrushed abs. He flaunts his airbrushed abs. A little bit of personality there by the giant Gonzalez, who they say always had a little bit of charm for the ladies. But technically, what we get here is the giant Gonzalez running away from ringside, running away from the Undertaker, who slowly stalks him backstage as we go into a commercial break. And back from break, it's Shawn Michaels defending his Intercontinental title against Bob Backlund. Shawn, of course, accompanied by the Big Diesel. And before the match can get going, Bob Backlund, admiring the Intercontinental title, he takes the belt and looks at it, and Shawn Michaels snatches it away. You'll never see this belt, says HBK. You'll only be WWF champion here in another year or so. Slow to begin things, as you might imagine, in a Bob Backlund match. It's Shawn Michaels with a body slam, which Bob sells like pure death. Bob lays there forever as Shawn Michaels pretends to sweep the mat of Bob Backlund. And then Shawn Michaels with a second body slam. Again, Bob Backlund seems to lay there for seemingly ever as Shawn relaxes across the top buckle, waiting for Bobbert to get back to his feet. Shawn, though, looking the heaviest of his entire career here, has his tights up over his gut. He's clearly very pudgy, very large in the stomach area for Shawn Michaels. And we'll talk a lot more about that in two weeks when we talk about September of 93 here in the WWF. But for right now, Bob Backlund comes back with a flurry of offense. Of course, it's a Bob Backlund set offense, but an offense nonetheless, as he has Shawn Michaels rocking and reeling. Shawn Michaels bails out to the floor, but he spits into the ring at Bob Backlund, causing Backlund to chase HBK around ringside. But Backlund gets Shawn Michaels in the corner, teases like he's going to nail him when we go into a commercial break. And when we come back out of commercial, it's now Shawn Michaels in control, hammering away on Bob Backlund. Shawn goes up top, does a shitty top rope double axe handle, and locks in a front face lock here. Very slow and plodding by HBK. Bob uses his strength, however, in the front face lock to pick Shawn up into the air and seat him across the top turnbuckle. Bob then hauls off and very unbacklin like he slaps the shit out of the Intercontinental Champion here. Pretty cool stuff from Bob Backlund. Bob with a big backdrop on Shawn Michaels, a nice drop kick, and the old one-armed neckbreaker. God, I hated that thing when Backlund did that. The old one-armed neckbreaker from Bob Backlund gets a two count. Shawn up, he tries to deck Backlund with a wild swing, but Bob ducks and he hooks Shawn up into the delayed running atomic drop. Backlund's old finisher is WWWF champion. Backlund goes for the cover, but Diesel up on the apron to distract the referee. And as Backlund comes over to confront Diesel, Sean is up on his knees when Backlund turns around. It looks like Sean's going for a low blow, but instead he actually hooks the trunks of Backlund and trips him up, causing him to fall to the mat. Sean Michaels hooking the tights of Backlund, rocking back in a pretty shitty-looking cover. Sean Michaels steals the win here with a handful of tights. Match went about eight minutes. And this is pretty much the end of the uh, initial Bob Backlund run. We'll see him pop up here and there for the rest of the year. Bob no longer under full-time contract. He'll work the secondary shows when they're running high schools and, and fundraisers and fairs and things of that nature. But Bob Backlund no longer getting the big push, if you will, in the WWF here in 1993. That'll all change in just over a year, as I pointed out. But until then, this is where we're at with Bob Backlund as we see more about who is Lex Luger and then Vince McMahon backstage an interview with the Hellraiser from Helsinki. It's Ludwig Borga. Borga starts things off speaking in his native tongue of Finnish, but Vince, he wants, he wants American English, damn it. Speak English, damn it. Borga mocks America for speaking only one language. He doesn't really know America very well, does he? 
Ludwig says it's his first SummerSlam, but it'll be Marty Jannetty's last when he inflicts the pain on Jannetty. Ludwig said he won't just be fighting Marty Jannetty at SummerSlam, but the whole America. Ludwig isn't here for titles. He wants to destroy America and get paid while doing it. Ooh, what a heel, this Ludwig Borga. As we go back to the ring, we see Borga's opponent at SummerSlam, Marty Jannetty out to take on Dwayne Gill. Perfect opponent for a showcase in Jannetty here. We see a flying head scissors early, and when they try for the backdrop spot, Dwayne Gill backdrops Jannetty up in the air. Jannetty's supposed to land on his feet, but we get a botch job here. Jannetty lands on his ass, but a nice cover-up quickly into a roll-up by Jannetty on Gill for a two-count. Then it's Marty Jannetty with a super kick and a diamond dust, or at least a reverse blockbuster as he hits a rolling diamond cutter off the middle rope on the Dwayne Gill. Marty Jannetty, the innovator of offense here in 1993, but it's the flying fist drop that puts Dwayne Gill away in three minutes, 19 seconds. We don't see Marty use that move all that often, the uh, rolling diamond cutter off the middle rope. You have to wonder if guys were telling him back then, this move doesn't make sense. We don't do moves like this. Imagine what's to come in the years to come if we only knew. Jim Ross then shills Radio WWF, even though Vince actually referred to the radio show on Superstars, or maybe it was Raw. He refers to the show as WWF Live on the radio. So Jim Ross calling it Radio WWF, as we know it will be. Vince McMahon still calling it WWF Live, at least whenever he recorded his bits. And he'll do it again here, both ways, before we head into SummerSlam. And speaking of SummerSlam, it's time for the SummerSlam report before we head back to the ring. Main event time, steel cage match. Tag team champions, the Steiner brothers, taking on Money Incorporated. The rules of this match is the door, the cage door, will be locked for the duration of the match. The only way to win is for both partners to escape the cage over the top of the cage, and both feet must be on the floor. Very important there. This also marks Money Incorporated's final title shot against the Steiners as they lock the door behind both teams. And no, there's no padlock. There's no chains involved. It's just a good old sliding lock, a lock that anybody can just reach in or reach out or come down the aisle and slide right open. But we ignore that here, thankfully. As we get going, there's no tags in this match. It's all four men and a wild four-way melee all throughout the match. The Steiners dominating early, but IRS tries to escape while they're double-teaming DiBiase, so they go to stop IRS, and then it's Irwin's turn for the beatdown while DiBiase tries to escape. This turns back into a four-way brawl as the Steiners take over on offense. It's the Steiners' turn to climb out of the match, but Money Incorporated attack both men, and it's right back to square one, and again, it's Money Incorporated reversing the roles. They're both trying to climb out at the same time when the Steiners are stopped. In fact, Scotty Steiner rips down the trunks of Ted DiBiase to expose his bare ass during the match here. IRS gets crotched across the top rope, but Rick winds up crotching Ted DiBiase on the top of the cage. And then IRS continues to climb, and he too gets crotched across the top of the cage. Lots of crotching going on here early in the match. DiBiase suplexes Scotty back in off the top of the cage, but don't worry, DiBiase actually climbs down the ropes with Scotty in a suplex position, and then suplexes him right on the mat. So very safe there from Ted DiBiase on Scott Steiner. It started on the top of the cage, and it finished like a typical vertical suplex. On commentary, Gorilla Monsoon having a field day shitting on everyone's quote-unquote strategy here. He thinks they should all be trying to climb all the time during this match. 
Gorilla Monsoon not a fan again of the strategy in this match, much like the six-man tag earlier. Gorilla having no problem letting people know how he feels about the current state of the business. Remember when I said DiBiase kindly suplexed Scotty off the top of the cage? Well, Irwin superplexed Scotty off the top of the cage. Yeah, that's right. Irwin, our shyster with a superplex off the top rope. Scotty sitting on the top of the cage. Nice spot. I wrote, now that's how you do it. I can't believe I'm saying that Mike Rotunda did a move better than Ted DiBiase. Though you got to remember DiBiase's had those back issues in recent months as well. So it's IRS superplexing Scott Steiner off the top of the cage as we head into a commercial break. And back from break, Money Incorporated both scaling the cage side by side, but the Steiners prevent them from exiting as Scott Steiner goes to the outside of the cage himself. But he winds up getting choked with his head pulled in between the rungs of the, the cage. Scott Steiner gets choked out and brought back in the hard way over the top. Rick Steiner now, he too on the top of the cage, but Ted DiBiase teases a pile driver on Rick Steiner off the top rope. You just knew that wasn't going to happen. No, they, they think the wiser and they climb on down to continue the match. We see Irish whips from both sides and Rick Steiner collides with Ted DiBiase. Both guys go down, allowing both Scott Steiner and IRS to escape the cage. Both Scott Steiner and IRS out of the ring. One and one are out. That leaves just Rick and DiBiase in the ring, or does it? Rick Steiner is up first and he begins to make the climb as DiBiase is down. So IRS climbs back into the match. And that's when we learn on commentary that IRS is now officially part of the match again, which means that elimination or that exit no longer counts. Both guys must be out of the ring at the same time for their exits to count. Therefore, IRS back into the match. But now, so is Scott Steiner. He can't allow his brother to be double teamed. So Scott Steiner climbs back into the ring. Or no, he doesn't. Scotty stops at the top of the cage. Scott Steiner, st- he's balancing. Scotty Steiner standing on the top of the cage. What's he going to do? And it's just a double axe handle. Scott Steiner, double axe handle off the top of the cage onto IRS. All four guys back inside. So we're back to the beginning. With the Steiners trying to escape again, DiBiase grabs Rick by the headgear and chokes him out as we head into a second commercial break. Back from break, Scott Steiner has escaped the cage for a second time during the commercial, but the Money Incorporated are, are double-teaming Rick, so again, Scott Steiner climbs back in the ring for a second time in this match. And now it's IRS's turn to climb out, but again, IRS climbs back into the ring after DiBiase gets crotched on the top of the cage. Irwin tries to yank DiBiase out, but the Steiners are pulling on DiBiase from the inside and we wind up with all four guys back into the ring and back to square one yet again. But finally, it's finally Rick Steiner for the first time in the match. He escapes the cage. Rick Steiner climbs out as Scott is on his own, but Rick won't drop down. He's still on the outside of the cage. He's, he's has faith in his brother who's being double teamed, and it pays off as Rick Steiner watches on. Scott Steiner comes back, double Steiner line on both of Money Incorporated. Rick Steiner celebrates at the outside by dropping on down landing both feet on the floor on the outside of the cage. Rick Steiner has completely escaped the cage at this point. So Rick is out. As in the ring, DiBiase and Scott Steiner fight on the top rope. Ted DiBiase wins the battle and the Million Dollar Man now escapes the cage as well. So we got Rick Steiner and Ted DiBiase on the outside of the cage. It's Irwin and Scott Steiner still in the ring. IRS begins to climb over the top rope on the opposite side of where Rick Steiner and DiBiase are. But Rick Steiner runs around ringside and gets underneath IRS as IRS is climbing down the cage on the outside. Rick Steiner sticks his head between the legs of IRS. He's, 
continue. He's holding IRS up. He's keeping him from climbing down the cage. Cool spot there from Rick Steiner to prevent IRS from climbing out. DiBiase sees what's going on, and he runs around to stop Rick Steiner. Some body shots, some body blows by Ted DiBiase on Rick Steiner, who won't relent. He won't release IRS. He's keeping IRS in the air as Scott Steiner climbs down behind DiBiase. And Scott Steiner, yes, he drops down off the cage. The Steiner brothers have successfully exited the ring. They have won the steel cage match. They retain the titles and money incorporated is irate. DiBiase is in disbelief as the Steiner brothers pick up the win here. 18 minutes shown on TV. The match had to win at least 20 minutes total here. Unbelievable for TV. And really, the first steel cage match I could think of on free TV since maybe Saturday night's main event. And I thought the ending itself, the finish of the match, was pretty creative, uh, very different for the time. And for what it was, it was good. You, you never get a cage match on TV, so this was pretty damn cool just to see the cage this happening on television. And since we can't have blood here in the WWF, they used the climbing in and out for the storytelling, which made sense, but it got a little redundant by the end, so I'm kind of glad we ended this when we ended this. But it didn't really feel like 20 minutes to me, so good job here. Nevertheless, uh, this was different. Nice change of pace. Definitive winners now as Money Incorporated as a team finishes up here. This is their final night as a team, at least on TV. And even though they had a shitty lock for the cage, I'm so glad the door stayed locked. It wasn't in play during the match. We didn't get shenanigans. It was over the top like they promised. Everything worked out the way it did. And the Steiners come out. Still tag team champions. Good stuff. Not exactly a superb wrestling match by any means. But they told the story, and believe it or not, guys, they used psychology. The entire point was to escape the cage. Well, that's what these guys tried to do, rather than do a bunch of flips. But I digress. And we close out the SummerSlam Spectacular one more time with men on a mission in Rap and Randy, talking about Lex Luger and the Lex Express. We move on to Monday Night Raw, which is actually just a watered-down 60-minute version of the SummerSlam Spectacular, the Spectacular Ran two hours on Sunday night, here one hour on Monday night. All we see here is really all you need. It's Hacksaw and Yokozuna in the steel cage match once more, and the promos from Jerry Lawler, Bret Hart, and the Lex Luger promo. As we move on to Summer Slam Weekend in WWF Superstars, August 28th, taped July 26th in Utica. It's Vince McMahon, a red, white, and blue Randy Savage, and Jerry the King Lawler. We go straight to the ring for the 1-2-3 kid taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. Spin kick early connects, but when the kid tries to backflip off the back of the neck of the Brawler, when the kid lands on his feet, he's met with the clothesline, and Brawler takes over as we get an insert promo from IRS talking about the kid's demise at SummerSlam. Brawler rips his own shirt off and takes over, hits a nice neck breaker on the kid, but the Brawler goes to the top rope, very un-Brawler-like, as the kid kips up. He was playing possum, by God! As the kid kips up, and slams the brawler off the top rope into the middle of the ring, and then snapmares him into position for the leg drop off the top rope. Kind of odd seeing the kid do a snapmare to set up the finisher, but the kid gets the win in just one minute, 57 seconds as he heads to SummerSlam and IRS. And it's off to face-to-face over on the Peacock. It's all about SummerSlam, as we hear from Razor Ramon and Ted DiBiase. And then WWF returning to Madison Square Garden on September 25th in New York. We are from Razor Ramon and Mr. Hughes. They're scheduled at this point to go one-on-one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, four weeks from tonight, Mr. Hughes standing by with the urn and Harvey Whippleman. 
Mr. Hughes is going to be squaring off against Razor Ramon. Harvey Whippleman, what do you got in your mind? What have I got in my mind? A whole lot more than a lot of these people in the New York area would be able to comprehend. But Razor Ramon, what? this is going to be the debut of Mr. Hughes in Madison Square Garden. I've got the date circled on my calendar. Saturday night, September 25th. One month from tonight, four weeks away. Razor Ramon, what? this is going to be a big defeat for you. It's not going to be a wrestling match. It's going to be a fight. Oh, Mr. Hughes is training so hard. You're eating tacos and burritos and everything. And this man's eating collard greens and pork chops and black-eyed peas. He's getting ready for you. He's going to bash you upside the head with his urn that belongs to him and walk out the garden with it, man. Start spreading the news. The bad guy coming back to MSG. <laughs> and that ain't no Chinese food additive, Chico. Madison Square Garden. Big time. Yeah, Mr. Hughes gonna be your first time there. Mm -hmm. The bad guy, he undefeated there. What about And that? Chico, you're gonna have Mr. Wimpleman on the outside. The garden, it gonna be full of bad guys. Razor Ramon, you took all that trash, boy. You're going down with the sidewalk slam, just like everybody else. Don't sing Have it. Have a nice trip. Bring it. You're going down, sidewalk slam. Favorite two lines from Mr. Hughes there. Before we know these matches aren't going to take place because Mr. Hughes already gone from the company. I can't imagine that would have been a very pretty match between the bad guy and Mr. Hughes either. But they're not done yet. Apparently, they were also scheduled to work all the way across the United States, all the way over into California. Thank you to Howie D, as we hear once again from Harvey Whippleman, Mr. Hughes, and Razor Ramon as they talk about their upcoming matches in Cali. Joining us face-to-face -face this week, welcome back to the great state of California, Razor Ramon. I know you're ready for this one. Your opponent is going to be the big man, Mr. Hughes, standing by with his obnoxious and uh, sometimes very vocal, vociferous, call him what you may, Harvey Whippleman. What's the game plan, Harv? Oh, it's very simple. We're very proud to be part of the World Wrestling Federation Supercards, even if they take place in California, a place me and Mr. Hughes don't like very much. But you know, on these Supercards, there's three championship matches in, in this California. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'd say there's four championship matches because Mr. Hughes is taking on Razor Ramon for the personal title of bragging rights in California for the toughest man in the World Wrestling Federation. And Razor, what? you're looking at him right here, kid. Cayete, you little cockroach. Hey! Yo, big man. Oye, me, chico. Listen to me. California, I love it here, man. Home of movie stars, swimming pools, fancy cars. I love to live in the fast lane. Bright lights, big cities. I thrive on excitement. Big man, you come into the WWF, you make a lot of waves, man. You hurt a lot of people. But now, you gotta prove something to the bad guy. That's right! I don't think you can. I'm gonna prove something to you, boy. I'm gonna beat you up, and I'm gonna put that sidewalk slam on you. Oh. Razor Ramon, you're going down! Sidewalk slam, you're going down! Mr. Hughes knows how to cut a promo. I want to go back to the New York one real quick, too, before we move on. Harvey Wibbleman, on, uh, during that promo, he's, he tells Razor that he's eating a bunch of tacos and burritos. Never mind the fact that the Razor character is Cuban and not Mexican. Uh, let's, get, let's move over to Harvey talking about what Mr. Hughes has been eating. He's been eating collard greens and, and black-eyed peas. Really disappointed that Harvey didn't drop the old chitlin bomb there, and instead he went with pork chops. 
But once again, I digress. As the show goes on, it's the Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette in their corner taking on Tony Roy and Jason Headings. And we get an insert promo from the Steiner Brothers here in the match. It's Tom Pritchard with a sit-out powerbomb on Roy. Jimmy Del Rey actually holds Roy at one point while Jim Cornette berates him on the floor. Fun stuff there by, by Jimmy Cornette. Back in the ring, Tom Pritchard busts out an insiguri. And then it's the double flapjack and Jimmy Del Rey off the top of the moonsault body press on Headings. Bodies get the win two minutes and one second heading into SummerSlam. Speaking of SummerSlam, it's that time SummerSlam report. Bret Hart in a promo says he will chop the head off of Jerry Lawler. We also hear from Harvey Whippleman and the Giant Gonzalez, as well as Razor Ramon about their respective matches at the pay-per-view. And then we see in syndication, for the first time in syndication, it's the Lex Luger music video. I'll be your hero. You be my hero, Lex Luger. I can't wait to see what happens next week at the SummerSlam watch-along here on The Grenade. But for right now, we go back to the ring. It's Ludwig Borga scheduled to take on Virgil, of all people. This is actually only taped back on August 17th, unlike the rest of the show, because we're all out of Borga matches from the earlier tapings. They had to speed things up and get a Borga match here on TV heading into SummerSlam, so they take a match from a future taping that hasn't started airing on TV yet. And here we go with Borga taking on Virgil. And even Virgil rocking those red, white, and blue wristbands heading into SummerSlam. Vince McMahon announces that Yoko Zuna and Jim Cornette will be on Regis and Kathy Lee this coming Monday. That should be a sight to see. Virgil sticks and moves early on Borga, lays in some jabs to Borga, but holy shit, Ludwig Borga just punches Virgil's face off with a big right-hand cross. Virgil sticking a little jab, maybe stuck one in a little too much. Maybe Borga just an asshole but he cleans Virgil's clock with a hard right cross that drops Virgil for real. Borga then pummels down on old Verge early, but he runs into a Virgil boot in the corner. Virgil begins to fight back with not one but two shitty drop kicks, but neither of them drop Ludwig. Virgil goes to the top rope with a crossbody, but Ludwig catches him, kinda, in midair, and nails a falling front slam before Borga with the leaping lariat. Gets the win in 2 minutes and 52 seconds. You know, I wrote here, Borga needs to change this finisher. They're selling it like he's killing guys, and he's hitting it pretty stiff. But we know IRS going to use that for the write-off here going forward. So Borga also going to be changing up his finisher as early as this Monday's SummerSlam pay-per-view. you have to wait and see. Post-match Ludwig Borga takes the wristbands off of Virgil, then grabs the microphone to tell the Americans they can stuff it at which point he takes those wristbands and stuffs them into the mouth of Virgil. Payback for some million-dollar man there. And if you couldn't figure it out before, it's clear by this point Ludwig Borga clearly on a collision course with Lex Luger post-SummerSlam. And Vince now plugs Radio WWF at the end of this. So earlier last week, Vince calling it WWF Live here in this match because it's taped later on calling this Radio WWF. And then we'll see before the show's over, because the other matches were taped earlier, he calls it WWF Live again. But the show goes on. It's The Undertaker. He's in a graveyard digging a plot for the giant Gonzalez. He says, this Monday night, Gonzalez begins his journey into the shadows of death. 
A Journey with No Return, A Journey to the Dark Side. This Monday night, the Giant Gonzalez will rest in peace. Show goes on, it's Mr. Perfect taking on Dwayne Gill. I wrote, geez, good to see he's still here. I forgot Mr. Perfect existed at this point. This feud between Shawn Michaels and Mr. P is on a block of ices and so cooled off, it's, it's amazing. During the Perfect Squash, we also get a promo from IC champ Shawn Michaels as we go back to the ring. Dwayne Gill actually hip-tosses Mr. Perfect, but he pays for it as Perfect comes back with the rolling neck snap, a standing drop kick. Gill even brought into the ring the hard way off the apron, and Dwayne Gill, what a great job here. Perfect slingshots him into the ring, and Gill jumps across the ring, more than halfway across the ring before he lands. Great stuff here by Dwayne Gill uh, as Mr. Perfect picks up the win here. One minute, 20 seconds with the Perfect Plex. And during the instant replay on the Royal Magistrator, Jerry Lawler draws a Big Mac truck, in fact, a diesel truck, coming up behind Mr. Perfect, getting ready to whack him from behind. So, so let's not forget about Diesel in the corner of Shawn Michaels heading into SummerSlam. And it's back to our final face-to-face on Superstars this week. As over on the Peacock, they talk about the SummerSlam. We hear from Jim Cornette, the Heavenly Bodies, and the Steiner Brothers. But over in New York, returning to Madison Square Garden, September 25th, it's the Steiners taking on Bam Bam Bigelow and Adam Bomb. And here we're going to hear the Steiners as they talk to Johnny Polo and Luna Vachon, the respective managers of their opponents. All right, joining us this week, Luna Vachon. Hi, dear. Of course, she is the main squeeze for Bam Bam Bigelow. Johnny Polo, the manager for Adam Bomb. And also joining us face-to-face this week, the reigning World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott. Guys, we don't know a whole lot about this team. We know about them individually, but not as a team. Scotty, what do you think of Bam Bam Bigelow and Adam Bomb? Well, you know me and Gene, we're, I love wrestling in Madison Square Garden, and we're facing Bam Bam Bigelow and Adam Bomb. Two great individual wrestlers, but we've never seen them wrestle together. It's going to be a good fight, but believe me, we'll show them why we're the World Tag Team Champions. You know me, Gene, we get to the dog pound. We're going to fizzle that bomb. It's going to be a big dud. Get the dog in me. What you see before you now is just a part of what is your unforeseen contingencies. You see, Adam and Bammer are unbeatable, unbeatable. Unbreakable, unpinnable, and unsuplexable. And that's right. You know, the Frankensteiner, your signature maneuver, well, even as we speak, Adam Bomb is devising a counter. You see, Steiners, you are the World Wrestling Federation champion. But you said we've seen you, we studied your matches, we know what you can do. You have never seen Bam Bam Bigelow and Adam Bomb as a team. So you don't know what they can do. You don't know what they have combined in Bring store for you. Bring him down! Now, Mary Square no, Garden! We will bring him down! We're gonna take So, sadly, as cool as that match sounds on paper, I don't, I don't believe it takes place. I think that's during a Steiner suspension, which we'll talk about in the September episode of the Grenade. But for now, just a generic promo from both sides, but just very cool. Uh, an interesting visual here. Johnny Polo and Luna Vachon together cutting a promo against the Steiner brothers of all people. We go back to the ring, though. It's the Smoking Guns taking on Reno Riggins and Barry Hardy. We get an insert promo from the Guns partner at SummerSlam, Tatanka. He talks about their match at the pay-per-view against the Head Shrinkers and Bam Bam Bigelow. In the ring, it's the double rush and leg sweep and the revolver, which actually connects for once here on Reno Riggins. The Guns pick up the win, 2 minutes, 19 seconds. And I said it before, but I stand corrected. Here it is. 
Now our final in-ring interview with Mean Gene Okerlund. He talks with Jim Cornette, Mr. Fuji, and Yokozuna. As Cornette is even rocking the red, white, and blue Lex Luger wristbands, he says he has them because they're going to be a collector's item. After SummerSlam, when Lex Luger meets his demise courtesy of Yokozuna, we're then shown highlights of all the men Yokozuna has destroyed here. In the WWF, we see him laying out Crush, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Brett the Hitman Hart. They even work Kamala in here because I, th- I believe Kamala's final match was against Yokozuna, so it works. It slides in nicely in this story. And then, of course, the biggest name of them all, Yokozuna took out Hulk Hogan. And all of this upsets the Macho Man. It's the Macho Man leaving the broadcast booth and making his way to the ring and all of his star-spangled red, white, and blue gear. The Macho Man is upset. He confronts Yokozuna. Macho Man gets on the microphone and he talks all about ugly face Mr. Fuji and stupid Jim Cornette. (laughs) Funny stuff here by the Macho Man. He says that some of Yokozuna's countrymen may support Yoko, but Lex Luger is entering the ring with, with the admiration of millions of fans across the entire United States as part of the Call to Action campaign. Savage says Lex enters with the hopes and dreams of people who dare to excel. Reach out and grab that brass ring, aha! But more importantly, it's not what Lex Luger comes to SummerSlam with, it's what he's going to be leaving SummerSlam with, and that will be the WWF title. As Savage starts a USA chant with the fans, all of the babyface wrestlers begin appearing in the aisle, in the crowd. They all work their way to ringside. It's great names like the Smoking Guns and Men on a Mission and Oscar and the Bushwhackers and Virgil, of all people. What great names we see making their way through the crowd, even Tatanka out there coming down with these guys and all of them waving many American flags. I wrote, where the hell's Jacques and Raymond? How come when they do it, it's, it's a heel move, but when everybody else does it, it's supporting USA. I think the Rougeau brother, we know Raymond's a baby face. He's an announcer. He should be out here at the very least waving the old American flag out of pop for it. And as we get to ringside, we see other names have come down the aisle. It's the one, two, three kid, Marty Jannetty, the Steiner brothers, even Razor Ramon waving a little mini flag here. The bad guy, big time baby face at this point. And as we go off the air, we hear giant chants of USA, all the baby faces waving those American flags. The Star Spangled Banner begins to play. Yokozuna can't take it. He's, he's covering his ears. Yokozuna, corny even, covering the ears of Yokozuna as he looks like he's almost in tears. He can't stand the chance of USA. As the show goes off the air, it's the last thing we see on Superstars before the SummerSlam pay-per-view. I wrote a few notes here. I wrote, here's Randy Savage cutting Lex Luger's final promo for him. And other than that, not a lot on the show, just fodder to get to the pay-per-view. But the final segment here with Yoko and Savage, it was a nice change of pace. Something different gets Savage involved in the story as well as we know he'll be at ringside for the Lex Luger match. And it's still odd they never use Luger on TV to sell this pay-per-view in any angles leading in. Nothing more than that contract signing. Lex Luger hasn't been on TV barely at all outside of those Who is Lex Luger videos. But I will say this, you can't sell something any harder than having nearly every baby face on your roster come to ringside and support waving the flags. The only guys missing here were The Undertaker, which makes all the sense in the world. Bret Hart, he's, he's Canadian, and I guess he's above this. But there's a third guy also missing here as I looked over and I thought to myself, wait a minute, where's Mr. Perfect? And at that point, I had to rewind the video, go back to the Mr. Perfect squash from earlier, and lo and behold, Mr. Perfect not even rocking the red, white, and blue wristbands. No support. So maybe still some ill will 
for Mr. Perfect about what Lex Luger did to him, knocking him out at the end of the WrestleMania 9 match, which should have told Luger something going into WrestleMania 10 when Perfect screws him there again. Mr. Perfect not selling this. I wonder if he just said, no, I don't want to be part of the story, if this was really done because of his recent feud with Lex Luger, because my, how quickly we forget things. Look how quickly Razor and the kid have become friends. But Mr. Perfect definitely not in support of Lex Luger nor the call to action campaign. Interesting. Never noticed that before. We move on to WWF Mania for August 28th. It's Todd Pettengill and the Macho Man. No exclusive this week, though we do hear from Jim Ross as he talks about Radio WWF. We hear from Yokozuna and Jim Cornette, the Bonnie Blackstone Bret Hart promo, and then Rap and Randy and Min on a mission one more time before we move on to the day before SummerSlam, August 29th, Wrestling Challenge, taped July 27th, Plattsburgh, New York at the Crete Civic Center. Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. Right away, we kick things off with the Lex Luger I'll Be Your Hero music video as we spend the first sixth of this episode selling the Lex Luger-Yokozuna match at the pay-per-view. As things get going here, the first match is Marty Jannetty in the ring with Iron Mike Sharp. Marty rocking those red, white, and blue wristbands all up his arms. Bobby Heenan even questions Jim Ross, how many wristbands does he have? And Jim Ross just responds, a bunch. I wrote LOL. It was kind of funny. Their banter there is Bobby Heenan also. On, Bobby Heenan on commentary during this match is gold. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, as the match gets going, you guys might know Mike Sharp is the very loud wrestler. Every time he's got a move or a hold applied on him, it's and oftentimes announcers may reference that and mock him for that. Here Bobby Heenan says, if Mike could beat you by yelling, he'd be champion. Amen, Bobby Heenan. But the fun stuff comes after we get an insert promo from Marty Jannetty. Well, I'll let you guys listen to it yourself. Marty Jannetty tries to pronounce Ludwig Borga, and, and here's what happens. All right, today Marty Jannetty had some comments to make regarding SummerSlam and Ludwig Borga. Is this coming Monday night? A big night in the life of Marty Jannetty, as I have got the big Ludwig Borgia. You know, it took me a week just to pronounce your name, so it's going to take me a lot longer to prepare for you because they say you're big and you're bad. My back's against the walls, so I can only come forward. Well, let me, well, let me explain something here. It took him a week to learn how to say Borgia, and he comes out with Borge. Now, obviously, this hayseed, this Oklahoma guy here, this Jannetty, He's from Georgia. Same thing. It's a suburb. Close enough. Should have gone to school and learned how to say Borga. Borgia. Well, I guess after you had your teeth rattled as many times as he has, you can't talk too well. Well, everybody can't go to Beverly Hills High Brain. That's right. Thank goodness. 90210, by the way. It's, it's a zip there. If you want to write me. Give me that gold card you have in your wallet. Can I use that for the weekend? No, you can't use it for the weekend. All right. There's more here coming in a second, but I want to <laughs> pick apart the first half of the commentary here. Oh my God, it's great stuff. That's the fourth time I've heard this, fourth or fifth time I've heard this, and I still pop every time Bobby Heenan's line. He had a week to say Borga, and he comes out with Borge. It's great stuff, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I was, I was initially grabbing this soundbite for the Marty Jannetty promo because I thought that was funny enough, but then I heard what Bobby had to say, and he just blew the roof off of it for me. In fact, he continues on later in the match. Here's more of Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan. I don't think Jannetty's going to fall for that. He's not as strong as Iron Mike. And certainly Margin, Marty Gennetti will not be nearly as strong as Ludwig Borga. No, no, Ludwig Borge. Ludwig Borge. Just so Marty Gennetti feels at home. Let's slur the English language. Let's talk Southern. Make, make you and Gennetti happy. Okay there, partner? You know, you're really, you're really pushing it, brain. Okay there, partner? 
<laughs> no, no, Borge. Ludwig Borge. Oh, good stuff there by Bobby Heenan. Uh, Marty Jannetty gave him some more stuff to work with there. Bobby did not disappoint as Jannetty picks up the win here over Iron Mike Sharp. Flying fist drop, three minutes and 53 seconds. If you're wondering how we got all that out of the commentary, a longer than average squash match there. Before we head to face-to-face, first we're headed back to Madison Square Garden, the New York market, September 25th. It's Mr. Perfect scheduled to take on Diesel. Also, Shawn Michaels scheduled at this point to defend the Intercontinental title against the 1-2-3 kid. Interesting there. We're going to hear from HBK Diesel and Mr. Perfect right now. Joining us face-to-face right now, Mr. Perfect, welcome back to the Big Apple. Also joining us, Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels. You're going to have a busy evening Monday in Detroit. Uh, Mr. Michaels, your man behind you, Diesel, there vowed that he would never interfere. What about that six-man elimination? Did he not come from behind and hit Mr. Perfect? Well, Gene, he was part of the match, so technically, no, he did not interfere. He just went in there, finished it, and won the match. Cheap shot, right? Just a cheap shot. Oh, cheap shot. Hey, all I know is what a pleasure it was to put my palm on your chest and watch you count it out. One, two, three. Same pleasure I had when I had Shawn Michaels in the perfect plex and defeated him. One, two, three. Well, now it comes down to you and me, Diesel. We're going to find out face to face just how really tough you are. I know you can do some damage if you get your hands around somebody's neck, but you remember this. You can't hit a moving target. Uh, Diesel, what's your game plan going into this one against this great veteran? Hey, I've got to give it to Perfect. He's been a heck of a champion, but his day's come and gone. Because when he steps in the ring with a 6'10", 330-pound mountain of a man, 1-2-3 will happen again. Hey, speaking of 1-2-3, Shawn Michaels, uh, does that ring a bell? (laughs) 1-2-3, the 1-2-3 kid. That little punk, Shawn Michaels is just going to do one thing. Reverse it, call him 3-2-1 and turn him into nothing but a big, I hope he beats you, zero. Michael. Not a chance. You couldn't do it. He won't do it. <laughs> what a cool match there that would have been between Shawn Michaels and the kid. Of course, things happen between now and then, which, again, we'll touch on in the September episode. But coming to the garden right now, Mr. Perfect and Diesel scheduled to go one-on-one. Also, out in California, more tag team title defenses by the Steiner brothers as they're continued to schedule to take on Bam Bam Bigelow and Adam Bomb as a tag team. And here's another Steiner Brothers promo as they talk with Luna Vachon and Johnny Polo. All right, joining me face-to-face right now, Luna Vachon, the main squeeze for Bam Bam Bigelow. Johnny Polo, manager for Adam Bomb. Manager extraordinaire, Gene. Very good. Uh, You have an agent? No, just kidding. I don't need one, Gene. Also joining us, the current reigning World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers. Now, we know you've got a big one coming up at Monday night in SummerSlam. But potentially, you're going to have a title defense here against a couple of great ones. We don't know about them as a team, but certainly as individuals, Bomb and Bam Bam are good. That's right, Mean Gene, but no better place to wrestle them in California. You know, two great individual wrestlers, but we never seen them as a team. But believe me, when we step in the ring, we'll show them why we're the world tag team champions. You know, Gene, it's a better and it's a bomber. Will you guys step into the dog park, California? We're gonna chew you up and spit you out. If you were any more articulate, you'd be able to bark, which is what you're doing. Gee, Stars, I know. If you can lock your hands around any man's midsection, you can suplex him. The only thing is, what are you gonna do when they get up and laugh in your face? You see, I have devised 
We have the boys. We have devised a strategy to win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team. You Bills. see what you have there is an unpredictable, unbreakable tag team. California is not the promised land, Steiners. And the Bammer and the Bummers you go will take your title back. You're crazy! Are you crazy enough? crazy and you're crazy enough the bammer and the bomber coming for the tag team titles there in california against the steiner brothers all throughout september early october supposedly as we go back to an undertaker promo it's the graveyard promo yet again and back to the ring mr hughes with the urn and harvey whippleman taking on dan dubiel and as the match gets going on commentary jim ross sells the return of the undertaker and all the exciting new moves he's going to be bringing with him we did see that one match against samu on raw several weeks ago but now here the Undertaker scheduled to wrestle Mr. Hughes. It's never going to happen, at least not on TV. Hughes picks up the win here in just two minutes over Dubiel with the sidewalk slam, which unfortunately happens to be the final sidewalk slam as Mr. Hughes destroys another wreath ringside post match. But this also marks the final TV appearance of Mr. Hughes here in the WWF. He did record one more match scheduled to air in a couple weeks on TV, but that's actually pulled and replaced. So this is the final time we'll see Mr. Hughes on WWF programming during this run. And it's only a day before SummerSlam. So at this point, as a typical fan, you don't even realize he's gone yet. You, you assume this feud is, is taking place. It's happening. You wonder where the hell he's at at the end of the SummerSlam match. Uh, but unfortunately, Mr. Hughes already gone from the company. As we go back and we relive the King's Court with the fake Elvis from the SummerSlam Spectacular. And it's off to the ring to Tonka taking on Bobby Who as we get a Smoking Guns insert promo. Yeah! Well, we haven't done that in a while, and the Papoose to go gets the win here. Easy win for Tatanka, two minutes and nine seconds. Off to the SummerSlam report, as Mean Gene confirms Aaron Neville will sing the national anthem. We get promos from Bret Hart, Razor Ramon, as well as, in its entirety, it's the Jim Cornette Yokozuna versus Randy Savage promo from WWF Superstars, and then back to the ring. Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels with Diesel taking on Rich Myers. Insert promo from Mr. Perfect during this one. Shawn busts out the old Harley Race high knee. And then it's the top rope clothesline, a super kick, and a pile driver. God, I haven't seen him hit that in song. I forgot that was his finisher. Shawn picks up the win 2 minutes, 51 seconds. Post-match, Diesel lays in a sucker gut punch to poor Rich Myers. So this is getting too odd for me, I wrote. This, this Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect feud. Rather than put over HBK versus Hennig in the Intercontinental title match for SummerSlam, the entire squash match here of HBK, it's Jim Ross shilling Radio WWF. He and Heenan are talking about Yokozuna not representing Japan. Bobby Heenan says he doesn't want to see American flags or Burger King chants or hear Burger King chants at SummerSlam. These are things they talk about during the Shawn Michaels squash rather than the Shawn Michaels match at the pay-per-view. We even get an insert promo from Mr. Perfect during this match about the match, but immediately afterwards, they changed topics once again. So it's at this point that, that I, you have to believe that there's way more to this story at this point already than meets the eye between the, the, Shawn and a, the Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect match, not really getting any play here on TV in recent weeks. And then it's one more face-to-face going to Madison Square Garden, September 25th. We hear from Johnny Polo and Luna Vachon yet again as the Bammer and the Bomber are set to take on these Steiners. 
All right, after yesterday's program, I wanted to invite back Luda Bashan, the main squeeze for Bam Bam Bigelow, and Johnny Polo, the manager of Adam Bomb. Manager extraordinaire, Gene. Give me a break. You know, yesterday you were on the program with the Steiner Brothers, the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Your man, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Adam Bomb are going to be challenging the Steiners in the garden on Saturday night. September the 25th. Johnny Polo, yesterday, I detected a little friction between you and Luna Vachon, really. What are you trying to create, a media circus there, Oakland? Well, Let me she tell pushed you. you. There is no animosity. There is no problem. See, I have devised the perfect... We have devised. See, there you we, go again. We have devised the perfect strategy to win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Belts from the Steiners. You remember this, Polo. I'm gonna be at ringside beside you, and if there's any problem, we'll settle it right there. But there shouldn't be any problems. There'll be a huge celebration. Big celebration, big celebration in Madison Square Garden. I mean, the ultimate pinnacle of wrestling buildings right there, September 25th. We're gonna take the tag team titles because you see, we've studied the Steiners, but they can't study us because they've never seen Adam Bomb and Bam Bam Bigelow wrestle as a team. So how are they going to scout them? How are they going to know what's up? See, we know that they can suplex any man if they can wrap their hands around Johnny Polo, Luna Vachon, I hate to cut you short. I'm glad to see you could agree on something. Madison Square Garden, Saturday night, September the 25th. Big card. Be part of it all. And that, my friends, will bring us to the end of Wrestling Challenge as they hard sell the pay-per-view tomorrow night. It's SummerSlam! Order now, only on pay-per-view. Oh yeah! And we move on. One final show, one final stop before the pay-per-view, the big SummerSlam upcoming pay-per-view tomorrow night. It's All-American for August 29th. In fact, it's the final episode featuring Mean Gene Oakland and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And here this week, the exclusive from Lowell, Massachusetts, taped back August 18th. It's the Smoking Guns defeating the team of Well Done. On a count out here at around the seven-minute mark after Billy assists Bart Gunn in getting back in the ring and beating the 10-count during a fight with Well Done on the floor. Well Done just a little too bland, I guess, for the World Wrestling Federation. Perhaps they need a manager. Perhaps they'll get a manager. We'll see if that makes any bit of a difference. But that wasn't the only exclusive here on All-American this week. Taped back at the Monday Night Raw tapings in Poughkeepsie from August 16th, Vince McMahon in the ring interviews two legends. And I mean true legends. Of the business, he talks to both classy Freddie Blassie and Captain Lou Albano. Oh my. He asks them about the SummerSlam main event between Yokozuna and Lex Luger. Who will win the match? Vince McMahon asks these two legendary managers. The captain picks Lex Luger, and to my surprise, even the heel, classy Freddie Blassie, goes with Lex Luger. So Vince has everybody in his pocket. Everybody's rooting for Lex Luger here at SummerSlam. I can't wait to see how that turns out. He has to win the title, right? I guess we'll find out pretty damn soon. I also have note here that this is Mean Gene's final appearance on All-American Hosting with Bobby Heenan after all this time. Some really fun stuff. Great chemistry between those two. After all this time, Mean Gene Oakland leaving the WWF, parting ways to make his way over to WCW. We know Bobby Heenan will soon follow. And that wraps it up, guys. We're all done here with August of 1993 in the WWF. Everything but SummerSlam in the books. We are two-thirds of the way through 1993, another six, seven shows. And we should be done here in 1993, and we'll cruise on to perhaps another promotion and certainly another year in the world of professional wrestling here, the wrestling memory grenade. But until then, we continue on, and it will be the SummerSlam 93 watch-along next week 
And I'll have Steven Eckstead here next week to call the matches with me. But until then, I want to remind you guys to follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade and follow us and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade because you can be injured right now into the free prize giveaways. Both winners will be announced next week as part of the SummerSlam Watch Along episode. Free gift number one, the autographed 8x10 promo picture of the Made in the USA Lex Luger. Gift number two, three WWF magazines from 1993. It's the August, October, and November editions of the WWF Magazine. Two prizes up for grabs. Two winners will be announced next week. And all you got to do is follow us on Facebook or Twitter or both. You two are automatically entered in your chance to win either of these free prize giveaways. And another final reminder, head on over to YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Over 50 new videos added in the last 10 days, guys. All of the USWA versus WWF feud continues on. I believe I'm somewhere in July right now on YouTube, and I'll continue on adding the feud as it continues throughout the course of 1993. I'll also be adding tons of new WWF and 93 footage, lots of exclusive matches from Mania, from All-American, some of these face-to-faces. You guys have heard the audio. Now you can actually put the picture to it as well. Lots of cool stuff coming. So make sure not only do you visit YouTube.com slash Grenade, but you click that subscribe button so you never miss a beat. And of course, Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. 14 tiers you guys can choose from over there. As low as a $1 tier just to show your support. Hey, you guys drop a dollar to the Wrestling Memory Grenade to WrestleCopia on Patreon. I'll be sure right here on the show to drop you a shout out. That's right. You get your own shout out right here on the show for a measly $1. And of course, we have tons of other tiers, including the $5 all access tier. It's my favorite tier because not only do you get early access to many of our shows, you get all of our show notes, which let me tell you, it's worth the price alone, in my opinion. And then you get all the exclusive watch-alongs, the exclusive Patreon watch-along series covering all sorts of Coliseum home videos, the WWF and WCW pay-per-views over the course of the Monday Night War era. It's a great complimentary piece to our sister show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. I should make note, head on over to your favorite podcast streaming app or WrestleCopia.com. We've got new episodes of Monday Warfare up and running right now and more to come. We've already got several in the books. I'm editing them. They'll be up shortly, dropping weekly once again. Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, as we talk all about the history of the Monday Night War. Monday Night Raw versus Nitro as we analyze and dissect each and every episode of the TV going up against one another. And we also discuss all the backstage politics and news and, of course, those pesky ratings that came into play. And it's a great time to pick the show up over there at Monday Warfare, guys. Why? Because we're just getting into the NWO. Scott Hall has just made his WCW debut. And over on the WWF, things are getting a little more crazy. Goldust doing a little mouth-to-mouth to Ahmed Johnson. We're heading to the King of the Ring, where Austin 316 is coined. Big times there in 1996 in the WWF and WCW. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Everybody now. Wendy, how's dinner coming? 
Dad, it's going to be another 20 minutes. There are times you're so hungry. I'm going to go for a walk. Only a trip to Wendy's will do. Big, big and classic, please. Hungry, huh? Introducing our biggest classic, a quarter pound of fresh beef, cheese, three big strips of bacon, plus the works on a toasted Kaiser bun. Man, Dad hit the spot. Come try Wendy's new big bacon classic, but come hungry. It's almost ready, Dad. That's okay. No hurry. But for here on The Grenade, I promised it, and it shall happen next week, guys. It's the SummerSlam 93 watch-along. It's Lex Luger, the call-to-action campaign. The Lex Express is pulling into Michigan. As Lex Luger challenges WWF champion Yokozuna, Bret Hart will attempt to exact his revenge on Jerry the King Lawler. It's Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title. The Steiners defend their tag team titles against the Heavenly Bodies. It's Razor against DiBiase, the 1-2-3 Kid and IRS, the pay-per-view debut of Ludwig Borga versus Marty Jannetty, plus six-man tag team action and the debut of Joe Fowler. All of that and so much more. Be a part of it next week, guys, the WWF SummerSlam 93 Watch Along, right here on The Grenade. <laughs>